Friday, February 21st, 2020. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. A couple interviews on this episode, so I won't spend a, a whole lot of time on the intro. We're just going to do a little introduction for our first interview. Uh, it'll be Alex Regla talking Lakers basketball. Then a little later on, we're going to get into Sam Houston. We're going to talk Sam Houston Friday. And then we'll bring on Nick Tamaro. We're going to go through the stake races for Sam Houston Saturday. And then we close things out with uh, our buddy Eric. Talk a little XFL, a little boxing, and some Deontay Wilder. And then we close things out with your social media post reading through them. So, yeah, lots going on on this episode of That's What G Said. Kick back and enjoy. First up, Alex Regla, let's talk a little Lakers basketball as we get set for the Lakers to start their second half of their season. Up next is our uh, NBA guest. Anytime we want to talk basketball or anytime we want to talk the Lakers, we have to bring in our good friend Alex Regla. Uh, Alex, you what a, a start to the season it's been for the Lakers. I mean, uh, when you know two years ago the Lakers are able to acquire LeBron James. And, and then last summer when the Lakers were able to make the trade to bring in Anthony Davis, we all expected it was going to be different than the last five years or so when they weren't making the playoffs. But I don't think anybody could have predicted, you know, a, a 41 and 12 type start. This is one of the best starts the Lakers have ever had. No, for sure. Like, like we dreamt of like a LeBron James, Anthony Davis team, like right when it happened and we, kind of met like dreamt about what that would look like on the floor but yeah I'm not sure that many people actually expected them to be this good and this you know this early into the season like a lot of people thought there'd be obvious growing pains and stuff like that but um yeah I mean those two just gelled right away in this team like you said is it's been really impressive strictly from like a chemistry standpoint like yep. this is one of the most like tight-knit teams I've ever seen and as someone who like was kind of like covering this team on a daily basis like Every little like snippet or audio recording or little post game interview, like it, it just shown through so like so many different times that this team really likes playing with each other, and I think that's been a key to their success. Like besides the obvious talent with LeBron and AD, you have this group that has come together, has accepted these roles, and is really kind of pushing for this singular goal. And I think that's been a huge reason for the success. You know, one of the I guess like the spokesperson for that and one of the the people who I, I'm so happy that I was dead wrong on this was Dwight Howard. Uh, you know, and with the Lakers, we've had a, a pass with Dwight Howard. He came in with with Kobe and they didn't get along right off the bat. And so most Laker fans didn't really embrace Dwight Howard. His year with the Lakers, it didn't feel that good. When you go back and look at the numbers, he actually had a pretty good year. And he played pretty well. But he just he never really felt like he embraced the Lakers. The Lakers embraced him. And then after leaving the Lakers, he went like every stop that he had, it just didn't work out well for him. I was so nervous when they signed Dwight, when when DeMarcus Cousins got hurt and they signed Dwight and they brought him in. And from the very beginning of the season, Dwight has not done one thing wrong. And I don't even want to like say it and knock on wood, but I mean he's been <laughs> An unbelievable teammate He's completely what you said He is like bought in And he is the first guy jumping up 
on on the bench cheering for whoever scores a bucket. When KCP was struggling at the beginning of the year, he was going on social media yep. responding to people saying, "Hey, this is our guy. Like this is our teammate." And KCP even mentioned like that that helped, you know, that support helped get him through a tough time. Like how impressed have you been with with what Dwight's been able to do this year? Extremely impressed. Like I I like you had my, you know, concerns when the Lakers did sign Dwight and kind of all those flashbacks of him leaving and all the stuff all those past recent seasons with all those teams he's been on and all the reports that have come out with his disruption in the locker room and all that type of stuff. But yeah, in terms of this year and, and how good he's been, like, it's amazing. Like in terms of everything, not just on the court, but like you said, off the court, supporting his teammates, being this like bench, like cheerleader, like that this team really hasn't had in a while. That's it's, it's really refreshing to see. Like I, I've never, it's rare to see a guy, who's been such a star Hall of Fame type player in his career kind of have to sit back and face himself and look himself in the mirror and say, you know what, I'm not that type of player anymore. I have to accept a smaller role. And if I want to continue playing the NBA, that's what I have to do. And that's exactly what he's done. And for the Lakers, I mean, they he's been a huge part of their success also. I mean, he's been amazing off the bench. He was really one of the, the reasons their defense was so good early in the season. And I think they really struggled in terms of Dwight this year. Yeah, and that that game, the, the one that keeps coming to mind is is the other night against Jokic. You know, jo- when he when he was just unbelievable, ding him up. He was putting pressure on him, like forcing him into just tough shot after tough shot. And that's what what's kind of interesting about this roster that the Lakers have built is that we we won't pretend <laughs> by any way, shape, or form that it's a perfect roster. They definitely have some holes in there. They definitely have some weaknesses. But what what seems to happen. Is that there's really no like third guy for the Lakers It it seems like every night they all kind of take turns You know like some nights it's Kuzma who's who's really been inconsistent And then some nights you're getting the effort from Dwight Recently it's been Avery Bradley who's been shooting out of his mind uh, you, You'll get the nights where it's you know KCP has a great night Or Rondo will have few and far between some, some good ones But it, it's almost been like, uh, like you, uh, the true team And it kind of gets back to the chemistry It's like it, we'll, we'll do this kind of as a committee And we'll all kind of figure out who needs to step up And fill the void each night Yeah and, and to, like, to your point like I think that's kind of one of my concerns in, in, in terms of They haven't had that consistent third guy all season And like I said it, that could be a good thing Also mm-hmm. like, you, like, like you mentioned That every night it could be someone else stepping up And that I mean, that's definitely Played a role in Frank Vogel's rotations Like we often see him kind of sticking with that The hot hand and whoever's on that night, that's the guy who closes games out. And that's, I mean, that's worked out for them. I'm just a little worried that when it comes comes to playoffs and, and, and things kind of buckle down and the rotations get shorter, that they do need someone to step up and be that consistently good third guy. And we all thought it was Kuzma, but like you said, he's been inconsistent this year. And thankfully, they do have guys like Dwight and KCP and even Avery Bradley who have kind of stepped up when he's kind of been off. So in terms of like, success like I really have no complaints in terms of what's what they're doing like if it works it works but I still have a little bit of a you know hesitation when there isn't kind of a clear-cut pecking order in terms of who who kind of scores after LeBron and AD yeah because we've seen with the Lakers where they've they've struggled against some of the tougher opponents now you can take this both ways right like I I think people harp on that a little bit too much in that 
So, so you'd rather have them struggle with poor opponents? Like, of course, through the length of a season, like the better teams are probably the teams you're gonna you're gonna struggle with. That, that's usually the case. But they got beat up at Philly. They got beat up at at Boston. Um, the Clippers games, you know, the first game, I think it was tough to gauge. The second game didn't really bother me as much because I I just felt like they kind of blew that game. It wasn't like the Clippers were like crushing them. And in fact, it was kind of the opposite. The Lakers were up, you yeah. know, most of the whole game before LeBron kind of got a little tight late. They turned the ball over and and they kind of spit it out. But I what makes this season so fun um and so interesting is that we don't have the Warriors, you know, dynasty of the last 5 years or the Spurs teams that were so good with Parker and Duncan and like always going to be there or the Heat LeBron teams. All of these teams are new. And you know, most people assume that it's going to be Lakers, Clippers, they put Milwaukee, maybe you put Philly or Toronto or whoever in kind of the top tier. But come playoff time, all of these groups are unproven together. And and that's where we're going to really like see things that we can kind of project and say this may happen, this might happen, but we really don't know. And it kind of feels fun for the first time in a while. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm on the same boat. Like this has been one of the more exciting seasons this year just because like you said, we don't know who's going to win it at the end of it. Like, there are definitely, <clears throat> excuse me, like, they're top-tier teams, like you said. And although the Lakers have struggled against them, like, they're still one of the better teams against uh, opponents, like, with uh, records over 500. So I think that narrative, it, it definitely has stuck with them. And I think it's something they want to prove, especially, you know, after this all-star break, that they can beat those teams just for, you know, like, uh, motivation going to the playoffs. But, yeah, like, I... I think whenever you have a team that has LeBron AD on it, that's you take your chances in a seven game series. And like you said, there is no kind of like Darth Vader, like a, like a Warriors team, like mm-hmm. in the NBA this year. Like, I think you can beat any team if you have LeBron and AD. It's just a matter of those other guys stepping up or, if, you know, those two guys really need needing to carry the load. And I don't know, like I, in terms of like right now, like I'm not sure who you think, is the clear cut favorite if there is one? Like I still think the Lakers, in terms of the West, like I know they struggled against the Clippers. I still think they are I the do favorite too. in the West. But how do you think they match up against a team like the Bucks, who've just been amazing this year? See what concerns, what worries me a little bit about the Bucks is I still don't feel like we know them a whole a whole lot more than we knew them last year. And because I still, you know, when the Lakers played the Bucks in, in particular, I think Giannis had his career high in threes, you know, and if, if he's, you know, walking up the court and nailing five three-pointers, then you're not going to be able to beat them. But I still do worry that when things slow down, it, it, it almost, you know, we saw the All-Star game the other night, and I know I'm not going to use the All-Star game, but it's like he doesn't, late in the game, with a guy who doesn't shoot free throws great, we kind of see this with LeBron sometimes, and I wonder if it's in their head. You know, sometimes it's like they don't want to go to the free throw line because they're not the best free throw shooters in the world. Yeah. And and that's when he gets a little bit tight. So I I kind of have, you know, I have Milwaukee as the top tier team. I, I do still believe a little bit more in Philly than I think most people do. They've been awful on the road, but I, I think I still think in a series when they like they still are gonna have some options and they might be able to match up pretty well and go big in particular. Um, against you know Giannis or against some of the the smaller teams, and then out west, I'm I'm kind of with you. Like nobody besides the Clippers terrifies <laughs> me in a series, and how they're going to be able to match up with the Lakers. Um, I will say that the the two teams that like looking at the way, if, if hopefully the Lakers can can secure the number one seed, I really wouldn't want to run into Portland or New Orleans. Um, because huh. I, I just I feel like Lillard is the type of guy who can get hot. 
And we've seen Lillard, you know, with the Lakers sometimes struggling with with defending like a, a really good guard like that. Yeah. And then the New Orleans thing, they would just have no pressure. You know, we'd have all of our young guys, the Lakers, playing against each other. Now they have Zion, the whole Anthony Davis thing. I feel like it, for them, they would just love the opportunity to play against uh, to play against the Lakers. But I don't, yeah, I don't get too scared uh, of of most of the the matchups on paper. And a lot of that has to do with Alex. This team, not only are they winning, but when you look at a lot of the metrics, this team is second in overall in net rating. You know, they're second in offensive efficiency and they're fourth in defense. Coming into the year, we probably could have predicted they would be a good offensive team. You know, you put LeBron and Anthony Davis on the court. But defensively, you know, I'm I'm a little surprised at how good they're able to be when they want to be defensively. Yeah, no, I think that's the thing. They have a switch, and I think um, they've shown that they can they can turn on that switch when they need to, especially against those like you those mentioned those uh, those lower end teams, like those teams under 500. And mm-hmm. we've seen them play around with those teams like in the first half, but then when they say, "All right, let's just lock them down and end this," like they do it, and that's something this team hasn't been able to do. And God, I don't know, like five or six seasons yeah. where they can just turn it on and just put teams away. And I think that's that's definitely encouraging in terms of when it, the playoffs come and we know that they are able to do this defensively. I, I do, I still do have those a little bit of concerns in terms of um, their perimeter defense and yep. guarding guys like Kawhi and Paul George and just bigger type wings. Like they still haven't addressed that issue, but you know what? It, that net that may be solved by AD having to guard Kawhi for long stretches of the game or just being creative in terms of who they put on those types of guys. And, you know, you have a guy like Frank Vogel, who's a, you know, solid reputation as a defensive coach and maybe when the playoffs come he has these kind of tricks like you know in his sleeve that he's hasn't really shown yet this season but I mean I I like their matchup against anyone just again if you have LeBron and AD like you kind of just take that and if you lose you lose but at least you have those two guys and you know they're going to put you in a good position to win yeah and I think you know Throughout a a long 82 game season You don't necessarily want LeBron Playing defense on the number one option Every night from the other team But you know what, maybe come come playoff time Come series time LeBron might say a little bit more Hey, you know, I'll guard Kawhi or Paul George A little bit more in these spots And because I have to now Right, because there's no there's no other there's no tomorrow. We're we're not worrying about next week Or or staying fresh the rest of the season And and just from being like a fan Standpoint that's the one thing that I I really applaud the Lakers for doing this year is that You know we don't know what any of these teams are going to be like come playoff We just discussed that I feel a little bit too much like the Clippers are acting like a team that's won two or three titles You know and 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 they're they're kind of taking the season like I don't don't know like it like not seriously But and and just assuming that they're going to have everyone healthy and they're going to be able to flip that switch and turn it on But this group as of the Clippers They've never been through a playoff run together mm-hmm. We really haven't seen Paul George healthy The entire year Do we know if Kawhi's going to be able to Kind of hold up all the way through They've made a couple changes too I just I don't know if it, if they're just automatically Going to be able to, to flip a switch Either You know that's a great point Like like you said they just made a few Kind of notable additions With yeah. Marcus Morris and Reggie Jackson But they also lost Mo Harkless Who is really one of their best Kind of perimeter defenders He could guard one through five And those guys And he doesn't need a shot too Alex like that's why he's a good player And, and he would be a guy that the Lakers hope oh. to get Because he doesn't care how many times he shoots the ball He can be out there for 30 minutes And just take a few shots he's not going to force it Like a Marcus Morris or like a Reggie Jackson Might And we've already seen that uh, a few games ago uh, I think it was against Philly I'm not sure who it was but Marcus were, Yeah Morris, it was Philly 
yeah, he he kind of took a few of those shots late down the stretch there, and it it was kind of curious that he had the ball instead of a guy like Kawhi or PG or whoever was on the floor. So I, you know, when you add a dynamic like that, and I know a lot of Laker fans were upset that they didn't make a trade, and I I felt that same kind of uh, you know I was a little upset also they didn't bolster the roster, but again you do mess with chemistry, mm-hmm. and I know we kind of like downplay chemistry, especially me who kind of does look into a lot of the analytics and stuff like that, but it does play a huge role, especially come to playoffs. And when you have a clear pecking order, like I'm, LeBron's going to get the ball, then AD, and then if you're open, you're going to shoot it. But for a team like the Clippers, who have kind of three to four really perimeter-oriented guys who really have to create out of isolation, stuff, stuff like that, that it gets a little clunky. There's and only one I ball. Think, exactly. And I think the Lakers are kind of banking on that. And I, they kind of hope that things kind of implode because – already early in the season there's been reports that the Clippers locker room you know they've kind of had some disputes and stuff like that so we'll see like you said this a lot of teams are different like look at Houston they just reshaped their roster mid-season after and, reshaping it in the offseason <laughs> exactly so they're they're not playing with the center so they're they're it's just like Westbrook basic. is their center <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so like you said I I'm no idea what any of these teams are like Utah like they just got Mike Conley back they have to reincorporate him into their offense Denver made a, made a trade to get rid of some of their players, so a guy like Michael Porter Jr. could get some more playing time. So, like you said, this is the first time in a long time the playoffs are kind of wide open. And again, I think the Lakers are just banking on, we have LeBron, we have AD, and uh, we hope that's enough. One thing that I was very encouraged by in the final game before the All-Star break was... Seeing the minutes that Caruso got against the Nuggets, that they were that they Caruso was in the game to close it to close it out because you know it, it started a couple years ago as you know Caruso is just this kind of uh, you know fan favorite because a lot of it's just because the way he looks he just doesn't look like a basketball player and then he's got this unbelievable um, ups like he can just get up he can throw down you just don't see it coming and he's an incredible defender. He's just yeah. one of those guys that makes every right move. He makes the smart play. LeBron, you know, Caruso talks about it. He's like, you know, last year I'm in the G League, and this year I'm I'm warming up with LeBron, and every time I walk by him, he calls me the goat. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, you know, my life has changed a little bit in the last year. It, I think that with the Lakers, I, I absolutely would have loved, like a Darren Collison would have been great, or, yeah. you know, uh, any any one of these, you know, buyout, like Harkless would be excellent if you could bring him in as someone who can play some defense for you, but I do feel like with Vogel making some adjustments, the Lakers might have some in-house fixes, and maybe the first one of them is, you know what, like we've given Rondo plenty of opportunities now, and I'm fine with, like, giving him a minute or two sometimes and seeing if he has it, but if he doesn't, he just cannot continue to play, you know, around 20 minutes or so. I'm I much rather give the bulk of those minutes to Alex Caruso. You know you're not going to get hurt on the defensive end with him. Anything he gives you offensively is a bonus and I just feel like the team will be much much better late in games, closing out games if that was the case. D- does that have an opportunity of having like can Vogel do that? Do you think he has a chance to like really say, "Okay, Rondo, we're going to taper your minutes down a little bit." Man, I hope so. Like that's kind of a lot of Laker fans' wishes, and that's kind of what we've been waiting for all year. I, I just, I'm, I'm not too confident that happens. Like I think Caruso's still going to have a, a, a clear role on this team, and he's still going to get minutes and stuff like that. I just, I think the point of him kind of surpassing Rondo in the depth chart. I'm just, I'm not sure how likely that is at this point, especially with the narrative of playoff Rondo. Like I think a lot of 
people believe that playoff Rondo is, you know, is a real thing. And I think they want that vet presence in the playoffs. Like you said, Crusoe was just playing in the G League. And are you going to trust him in a Game 7, the Western Conference, you know, finals? Like, I would. Like, I think he's a clear better player than Rondo. I'm just not sure if the coaching staff or if his teammates will. And, um, I mean, I hope so. Like you said, Crusoe does all the little things you want for a guy who plays next to star players. He plays exceptional defense. He's a great rebounder for his position. And, like, if he can hit open threes, like, there you go. Like, that's the clear archetype you want next to a LeBron team. So I hope Vogel... I, I, Vogel recognizes it. Like, yeah, a lot of his quotes, he he says, like, we're trying to get him more minutes. He views his, he views him as a secret weapon. He says so. Like, I think everybody understands. It. If you ever play basketball, you recognize you recognize who's good on the floor. Like, mm-hmm. you play at the park with your friends, you know who's good and who could play. And I think a lot of all a lot of the Lakers know Crusoe could play. It's just a matter of are are you going to put him over Rondo, who has so much pedigree and name value and all this stuff and I would hope so. Like, I think it'll improve their chances in the playoffs, but it's just the kind of a wait and see thing. When we look through the roster, just a few more minutes here with uh, with Alex Regla talking Lakers. We look through the roster, and, and you know, you, you go down and you got AD and LeBron and Kuzma, KCP, Danny Green, Avery Bradley, Dwight Howard, JaVale, and Caruso. Like, I'm fine with that eight to nine, you know, and then, you know, and then we're talking about Rondo too. He's going to get his minutes. That's okay with me, but what the Lakers need is they need the best versions of all of those role players all the way through. And it doesn't have to be every night, but they have to just not be bad. Kyle Kuzma is the one who who comes to mind. I love, I love Kyle Kuzma. He's one of my favorite players. He's one of the few um, I think he's the longest tenure Laker right now. He might uh, be. Yeah. He, he's one of the few that that are still around from the young guys, and he's already overachieved for what he was supposed to be. Right? He was. He wasn't one of our top lottery picks. He wasn't one of the number two picks. He was never even supposed to be like a real rotation guy in the NBA, and he's already done that. He's already very solid, but he's just. The inconsistency this year He's had a tough time fitting in It feels like he'll take A big step forward and then two steps Back like right after the the Kobe Passing the, the, the two or three games That he played immediately following that It felt like he was inspired He was rebounding the ball he was playing a little bit better Defense he wasn't taking bad shots Even if the he is like his scoring Numbers weren't up he was he was Helping the team but it just seems like he Takes another step back which Kyle Kuzma do you think we're going to get the rest of the season? And if there was a big game in the playoffs, which Kyle Kuzma do you think we would get? You know, you know what? It's funny because Kuz does seem like a player, like like you mentioned after the Kobe passing, and he was one of the only, really one of the only guys who kind of stepped up that game. Like his mm-hmm. rebounding that game was yep. amazing, and he did look inspired. Like he, since the beginning, since he was drafted, we kind of could tell like if this team ever makes the playoffs, like Kuzma's going to be a guy who steps up. Like, it just seems like that's, yep. he lives through those types of moments. But with that said, this year he's been so inconsistent and in that it, d- it does kind of worry me that he'll disappear or kind of like melt in the playoffs. And I really hope he doesn't because, again, he, we need a third guy. And he, more than anyone on this team, has the capability of doing that. We've seen it already. Like, we've seen how good he can be. It's just a matter of him doing it. I, I hope with these last 30 games or so, he kind of builds some type of consistency and, 
again, I, I don't think it's all his fault. Like, I think the coaching yeah. staff can definitely put him in better spots. Like, he got hurt. It was a tough start for him of the year, right? He got hurt to start. His role had completely changed. Davis is coming in. He's going to be coming off the bench. The last couple of years, it was basically like, hey, Kuzma, we need some offense. You're going to go, you're going to go get it. So, you know, he's, he's had to, you know, completely change his role. I, I understand. I think it's now like, and, and I've been the, the first one to give him. Plenty of benefit of the doubt and 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 make ex- a lot of excuses for him. I think now though is the time where where he has to this last part of the season, these last thirty games or so, it has to be like okay, if I'm not scoring, that's fine, but I'm not going to be a minus on the floor for you. And, and if if we can get just that from Kuzma to where he's like, he doesn't have to shoot forty five percent from three, but instead of the thirty three percent that he's shooting, like you know maybe thirty six, you know, like it's not it's not that's what's um what's as a fan of the Lakers, we don't need a ton, or we don't really need any of these guys to play out of their minds. They just have to not be bad. You know, the Bradleys, the KCPs, the Dwights of the world. You know, um, and, and KCP is a real fun one to to discuss, <laughs> and and we'll uh, we'll spend just a minute or two on him. I mean, yeah. he he's been one that the Laker fans have have really disliked over the last <laughs> couple of years. We overpaid him quite a bit, and then coming into this year, the first week or two, he could not hit a shot. And it wasn't even missing shots. It's just like his decision making is usually not very good. So then he gets, you know, he gets rattled a little bit, and he, he's making the wrong play. And for whatever reason, maybe it was the support from Dwight, or just kind of knowing that, hey, you know, you're not going anywhere. You're going to be around here for a couple years. Like we're going to need you. He has just been unbelievable. Yeah. Um, he's shooting over forty percent from three, and I know he's kind of cooled off a little bit, but he's one of those those that. He's actually even better in the starting lineup. He's even better when he plays with LeBron and AD, which he hasn't had as much opportunity to late. I it's been good to see kind of um, him go full circle this year, and now he's almost become a fan favorite. Like I feel like he's going to make every three he shoots. I, I don't feel like oh no KCP. Like I genuinely feel like they're going in. Yeah, he, he's another guy like Dwight who've kind of kind of hit like in terms of their best case scenario like you're mentioning you don't you just don't want them to be bad and in terms of kcp and dwight i think they've kind of exceeded that and they've actually kind of hit like their optimal like ability because like you said kcp shooting over 40 percent for a while there he was really high in the 40s like he was making literally everything he was top and 10 at was, one point in the league he, for for a bit yeah which is insane considering how poorly he started like you mentioned like if it was a support team support, if it was just him kind of going back to the gym and working out a shot and his confidence or whatever, but that's the type of player. And those are the types of performances that are going to be huge in the playoffs. Like a guy like KCP can swing a series if he gets hot or if he doesn't, he just doesn't show up and he misses everything. I think that's all kind of like you have this kind of security blanket with LeBron and AD, but I think those role players could end up being deciding factors of how far this team can go like in those games they've lost against the better teams. It's been because those bad performances from those guys and mm-hmm. those guys disappeared where the Clippers bench would outscore them like 60 to 20. And like, there's no way in a, like just simple math, you're not going to win that game. So they just need those guys to at least be themselves. And I think if they do that, they'll be fine. What uh, I really like about this team too, is they, you heard them early in the season talk about how they didn't, they didn't want to lose back-to-back games. 
And this is the team that's had a seven-game win streak, a ten-game win streak, and a seven-game win streak. They've had a four-game losing streak. And then other than that, there was only one time the rest of the year where they lost back-to-back games, and that was right after the passing of Kobe, when they had a week off in between. They lost to Philly, and then they lost the next game to to Portland. It didn't even really feel like back-to-back games because there was so so much time in between. But to me, I like that there were just little things like that all season. When you you mentioned the chemistry, and they they started with the the camp in Vegas, you know, in, in the off season that LeBron kind of uh, or like orchestrated and got them all together in Vegas, and it seemed like they had fun. And, and they've really liked each other. And one of those glue guys, there's a couple. Jared Dudley's awesome. He's he's hilarious. He's not gonna, you know, play 25 minutes in the finals, but he could get you out there and set a screen and hit a big shot and just kind of rally the troops w- when you need. And the the one guy who I'm wondering too, he I feel like people are you know we haven't really talked a whole lot about him throughout most of the year, but it's kind of the way he plays is Danny Green. Huh. You know, Danny huh. Green is is. Such a polarizing topic because he's unbelievable um, when he's on, and he literally gives you all of those things that you need right next to LeBron and AD. Good defense, perimeter defense. He can guard some wings if they're not too big. And I got, he's another one where his numbers and his wide open three numbers. I saw you posting them. They're like it's, absurdly crazy. It's it's crazy how yeah. bad they are. Yeah, he's shooting oh, like just to put it in perspective. Like he's shooting a better percentage on his tightly contested threes, <laughs> meaning when like he has a hand in his face versus when he's completely wide open. Which I like again all season I've been saying, you know what, this is gonna change. Like it's this is a trend. Like it's small sample, but for whatever reason, it's been a thing with him. But going back to him, like he is a guy who just just his demeanor and the way he plays, he goes under the radar. But in those two games like against Clippers opening night and against Milwaukee, he was huge. And I think that goes to, to, you know, speaks volumes to the type of player he is and the type of big player he is in the playoffs. Like, when it, when it comes down to he is a guy you trust, and, I mean, he's going to be in those closing lineups probably guaranteed next to LeBron and AD. I just hope he gets hot in the playoffs. Like, we saw him in that in that finals with the Spurs where he just made everything. He was going to be the MVP that year. Yeah. He was almost the finals MVP. Yeah. And <laughs> he, he, when you talk about swing players, I, I feel like, you know, with – Kuzma with KCP with um, Danny Green and even with the way that Avery Bradley's been shooting the ball and it, and it's when we talk about Avery Bradley we're not talking about like a five game sample size this has been like twenty five games now where he's been putting up pretty good numbers and you know with Avery I think you can you can really see the the kind of flow of his season based on his health. He was pretty good to start the year, and it felt like he was actually like the, the the way that the Lakers talk about him setting a tone defensively. He's someone that the team really likes. They like the pressure that he puts. And then he got hurt, and for a while he was really struggling. He wasn't making open shots. But he's he's another one who his his shooting percentage recently has just been incredible. And he, again, I feel like when he's shooting now, he's so confident. Like he knows or he thinks he's going to make every shot. And, and that 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 you know that transcends to the other side of the floor too. If you're making shots on one end, you're gonna play harder on defense on the yeah. other end. And if, I think it's just a matter of Bradley's legs. Like I think early in the season, we saw him look a lot more spry, and he was getting a lot more you know uh, air off the ground when he was shooting. But then, what you said when he got hurt, he just looked so flat-footed, and every shot he took, it just looked like he was short and just it didn't look like he was gonna make it. And now you kind of do have that confidence that when he gets the ball, he's gonna make them. And I think that's huge. Like. I think if he just kind of trains it, trades in a lot of those mid-range jumpers for kind of corner threes and stuff like that, he'll be better. And thankfully for like this last stretch, hopefully this is a sign that he's getting back to that early season 
like of himself where he was playing really solid defense and he was like he and Dwight I thought were huge kind of um uh trendsetters in terms of this defense and making sure everyone who plays defense and everybody plays hard and I think when he got hurt the team kind of lapsed a bit and uh but hopefully like I said he looks a lot better lately and he is one of those guys to keep an eye on in the playoffs so the Lakers, um, it looks like they only have the 22nd toughest schedule remaining, but they do play some tough teams. I think the schedule isn't considered as hard because they get a lot of them at home. A lot of the, the tough teams from the East that they've played already, they play on the road. So, you know, to, to start Friday night, they, they'll play Memphis. Then uh, the Lakers have games, you know, against Boston. They have a couple games against the Pelicans. They play Philly, Milwaukee. They still have ga- uh, two more games with the Clippers, Houston, Denver, a couple with Utah. So, not a, I mean, they, there's going to be a little spurt where it's it's like Philly, Milwaukee, Clippers, and Houston, and <laughs> and that feels kind of like the the big the big point of the second half of their season because what's been nice, Alex, we built a little bit of a of a you know of a lead right now. We're, we're five games up on Denver in the loss column. We're six games up on the Clippers in the loss column, and so it, it's nice to have a, a little bit of breathing room. It is, but I still think that, you know, when those games do happen, you know, I, I really do hope the Lakers at least split or, or win a few of those games sure. just yep. for their confidence and in terms of... That's the key. Mentally. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, LeBron's joked about it. Like, hey, I, I thought we weren't, like, we weren't able to beat good teams when they beat Houston on the road and yeah. stuff like that. Like, this team knows the talking points about them. They know that other teams may view them as soft or... And I think they want to prove them wrong. Like, they don't like when Patrick Beverly gets in their face. They don't like when teams call them out or, you know, stuff like that. And I think they really want to prove that they are mentally tough and they can back that up on the floor. And I think that's a huge test. That stretch you mentioned right there, they want to do well there and they want to beat those teams just for their own sake to say, like, hey, we beat them in the regular season. And when a seven-game series comes, we know if we've, we've already beat them. We can beat them. They're not unbeatable. And I think that goes a long way in terms of giving them confidence in the postseason. Uh, do you think we're going to see DeMarcus Cousins play at all this year? We've been starting to hear some rumblings about that lately. God, I don't know. Like, I right? I completely ruled him out. Me too. Happened in, I, I, I know he's been around the team. I know he's getting shots up in practice. I know he's working hard to get back on there. But uh, like we were mentioning with the Clippers, you, that's a whole different dynamic. You're adding oh, to yeah. the team, DeMarcus Cousins. And we saw him last year in the finals and – we saw him, his defense was not was great bad. Yeah, and, and this is another injury After another injury after another injury Right, like this wasn't just one injury Like this is starting to build for a while So he, I would have a tough Like, it would be hard trying to incorporate him I feel like, you know Into the playoffs without giving him You know, it'd be, it'd be different if he could come back Towards the end of the year and get like a couple Games in that don't matter But if, if the first time you're putting him out on the court Is oh. in the playoffs, that, that would be a That would make me a little bit nervous and it's funny because, like, a healthy DeMarcus Cousins, like, stylistically, that's the type of player this team is actually missing. Oh, yeah. That, a creator. That type, yeah, that creator type, that toughness, and another spacing. Like, imagine AD playing with a DeMarcus Cousins full-time instead of a JaVale or Dwight who clogged the paint. Like, that. that's so much more freeing driving room for guys like Kuzma, guys like AD, guys like LeBron, because you have a, a floor spacer. And DeMarcus and another creator, like you said, to give – LeBron some time off and if you have DeMarcus maybe you don't need to play Rondo because you have DeMarcus as a as a creator and you could play him yeah. more Caruso but again it's that's more of a what if and I, I don't and, think we we're ever going to get that yeah because you made a good point because with the Lakers it's not that they necessarily need a 
a backup point guard. It's they need a a, a ball handler because for unfortunately. Caruso is just not good at like like that's just one of his weak his weakest um, weaknesses is setting up the offense. He he can make great passes, you know, and, and it's not that he's a bad passer. It's just he he's not really a very good dribbler. Um, yeah. He gets a little lazy with dribbling sometimes, and like when he's bringing the ball up the court, and and that's where we could just really use somebody else for you know come playoff time like eight minutes, you know, when LeBron goes out for two different spurts just to kind of handle the ball, and maybe maybe it, it's. You know, Rondo he plays better. Maybe it is Caruso who they kind of just say, you know what, baptism by fire. We're going to leave Caruso in there and give him a, a few extra minutes, w- whatever it is. Um, w- one comment before I, I move on and ask you a wrestling question or two. The, the Giannis comments on All-Star Weekend were pretty fun, right? <laughs> when, he, when he said, uh, they asked him, wouldn't it be great to play with your brothers? And he said, yeah, well, you know, whether it be in Milwaukee or L.A., like, as soon as he said L.A., man, everybody started smiling, and we all start thinking yeah. now, is Giannis going to come in a couple years? So um, just from a Lakers perspective, uh, what did you think of that comment? I thought it was pretty fun. I think everybody's ears perked up at that moment. Yeah. It was uh, real fun. Like, I, he knows what he's doing when he makes yeah. those types of comments. And, uh, I mean, I that's the reason they signed Costas, right, his brother? Like, I'm obviously, he's, he's, he's really athletic, and he's a nice talent to – a nice prospect to have, but having his brother in house and you know treating him right definitely hopefully goes a long way in terms of uh, recruiting Giannis in 2021 if he if he opts out. Imagine a Giannis AD front court that'd be amazing. Unbelievable, two guys that can pass and you know AD can shoot and stretch it, so you're not like bigs that cl- are clogging the lane. And Giannis obviously can operate from out on the perimeter too, so that's just a fun fun thing to think about. Uh, okay, let's move and ask a, cu- a couple of wrestling questions. We, yes. When we started talking basketball a few years ago, we we noticed that we both are big big wrestling fans, and it's it's a fun time in the wrestling world right now because you know WWE's moved um, you know SmackDown over to Fox, and and now NXT is on USA Wednesday night. So we have a uh, you know WWE. If you're a fan, you can get Monday, you can get NXT Wednesday, you can get more WWE Friday, you can get the show they have on. Backstage on Tuesday night and then Pay-per-views you know on on some Weekends at least once a month but now We've gotten this this other product All elite wrestling which is basically Like you know it's like the Internet fans wrestling program Yeah and I think that they've really After you know A, a month or two and they, they would have a Good week and then a bad week it seems Like they have really found their footing over the last You know three weeks to a month or so this Last episode uh, last night on Wednesday night was amazing, like a battle royal at the start. There's a cage match. It was just fun. It felt almost like like a, a special event pay per view type show. I'm this. I'm really really excited. I saw one of your tweets that said, "You you feel like you have to tune in every week now, or else you're going to miss something." Yeah, I think that that's something that a lot of kind of jaded fans or fans who kind of tuned out of wrestling, you know, growing up like as a, you know any kid who watches wrestling and loves wrestling there does come a point where you kind of get jaded to it and you kind of step away from it or just kind of look at it differently or just kind of more casually and, you know, take your interest somewhere else like basketball or any type, anything else. But I think with AEW, I think the thing that's kind of impressed me the most is they kind of brought that you can't miss this episode type of feel to their product. And I think with Raw or SmackDown, you can watch it or you don't and you, you never really miss anything. That's like very those, true. Those moments don't really like those that attitude error and all that type of stuff that people love and hold on to. What made it so special was that every episode there was something that you would talk to your friends about, like, hey, did you see, I don't know, Vince McMahon on a 
crucifix. Out and just random, yeah, cr- crazy crap that would happen on that show. That just it, it might happen now, but it just feels so non-important and just feels like it's not going to go anywhere. Where AEW, at least they build. It feels like everything's building to something. And I think these last three weeks they've just been on fire. Like everything is like clicking. Like things that didn't work early in the year or early in their um, their few episodes. Like now they're starting to work. Like the Hangman Page. Like everything about him is awesome. Like he was someone I was kind of down on, and now everything with the getting drunk with the fans, all that's just great. Even a, like a, a person like Britt Baker, like her heel promos have been the first awesome. week when she came out, it was awful, and then since then it's been amazing. You know, it's you, been amazing. You look, yeah. I look forward to it now. Like it's insane how like two weeks change it. Like things that didn't work, like even like the Dark Order type stuff, they've kind of put that lower in their card, and yeah, that's a little fine. back burner. Yeah, and that's what you do. Like they've listened to the fans, like they said they would, and it. I think it's showing. It's showing how many people are like really invested into it, and also shows that wrestling, if you put something out there and, and reward fans for tuning in, that they'll come. And I'm I'm just happy there's an alternative that is out there. Like I'm, I still watch WWE. I enjoy it. I love NXT. I just am happy that there is something else like AEW that exists because I missed out on a lot of that WCW WWE uh, war, and because I was kind of just really strict with just watching WWE when it, I, I didn't want to support the other guys. Yeah, yeah. Like, but now they it's felt like, like the bad guy. You know, they felt like the bad guy, like the other team. You know, we can't root for them. But uh, I'm, I'm with you. It's fun. It's like this is good for all of the wrestlers. Because there's an there's another like big and that's what's crazy. This is this is the owners of the Jacksonville Jaguars, the, the money behind this, right? This is like big league. We're talking here. These are people that have like top level connections. They have a ton of money and they know how to like they know how to put on live sporting events and live sporting shows. So this isn't someone like a group of people getting into the wrestling business that didn't know what they were doing. They you know they're behind you you know the the minds of Cody Rhodes and Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks who have been. You know some of the best like wrestling minds of of kind of this generation. They've they've done incredible with how they built their following. You know on social media to how they're able to you know the the being the elite shows on YouTube and the following they were able to get. I mean this kind of this all started this entire company started on basically a dare bet from yeah. Dave Meltzer. <laughs> you know he said that that no other company other than WWE could pack a show uh, and sell ten thousand tickets. And Cody Rhodes took it upon himself and said, "I bet you we could." Yeah, I mean, they have a show at the MGM Grand coming up. Like, you know, they have two. So, like, they, it's it's just snowballed into, like, this monster. They just signed a three-year extension on their TV deal. They're on TNT, which, like, getting just getting a TV program on TNT, that type of deal, is just enormous. Like, I'm not sure if, like, non-wrestling fans realize how big that is. Well, to get, to get the promos during an NBA basketball game. It's you know, insane. It's, yeah. To hear Marv and, and the guys on TNT have to, <laughs> it, it, I, I love when they're like Chris Jericho yeah. out there. You know, it's just it's fun and and um, I'm I'm really impressed. I thought I, I've kind of gone the, the first few weeks. I thought it was good and it was new, and then there was a little bit of a lull for about yeah. a month where I felt like ah, I don't know if they're finding their footing. And then man, the last month it has just been home run. They've knocked it out of the park, and I think this is what what happened in the Monday Night Wars years back is that. I think AEW's looking over at NXT, who's also on Wednesday nights, and going, hey, they've got a really good product. We have to continue to make sure that our product is really good, or people are going to turn over to there. And I feel like Monday Night Raw's been a little bit better the last few weeks. And WWE, after you know, kind of a bad end of 2019, they've had a pretty good month or so, too. So that's what we wanted. We wanted these companies to push each other and to try to force each other to be a little bit better. 
Yeah, competition's always a good thing. And like you said, that the reason those Monday Night Wars and the Add Two era was so good is because there was a WCW. And if WCW wasn't there, we might might not have gotten all those classic moments from the WWE that we've loved now and kind of always look back look back at fondly because they had that person that that company pushing them to be that good. And like I, I don't I, I don't see a downside with this at all. Like it's really exciting as a wrestling fan with everything going on. Like you have like New Japan wrestling is still ridiculously good like the like everything with them is just on fire and another level and then you ha- you come state stateside you still have and you have this AEW and you have this WWE it's just a perfect time to be a wrestling fan for sure there's even an old school NWA like revival and now I love NWA too on YouTube you know you can watch it and it's got that old school feel and 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 it, it's just like an hour but it's a real quick watch and it's real easy to get through it's a lot of fun you see some some uh, names that you know that used to be in WWE or TNA or, or or different places here and there. So I mean, it's it's a blast. And and now what I love, Alex, you've basically you're basically like in my brain writing a newsletter that's directed to me uh, a couple times of the week. I, I noticed you've had two issues of your newsletter out so far. The first one was a, a little bit more like basketball oriented, talking a little bit about the Lakers, and then the second one was a ton of fun. It was the analytics of professional wrestling. You broke things down you, you talk all about different stats and numbers And it's it's great because it's like a very Like you said You have a very analytical brain When you when you look at the way you cover you know Basketball or you cover sports or You talk about sports And it's fun to see wrestling being covered In that instance Tell us a little bit about uh, the, the issue that you just had And then tell us a little bit about your newsletter Yeah man, thank you uh, So I did um, cover the analytics Of kind of AEW specifically Because like we mentioned They are owned by the son of the Jacksonville owners, um, the owner of the son of the the son of the owner of the Jacksonville <laughs> Jaguars, who actually runs their analytics department also, and uh, he now is co-owner and kind of the head of AEW, and he's bringing a lot of that sports-centric stuff to AEW. Like if you've watched the show at all, you notice they have power rankings, they have number one contenders that win-loss records. They kind of mention stats in terms of how many times a guy kicks out of a finisher, that type of stuff, and it all. All kind of goes back to also New Japan, who've kind of been pioneers in this regard. But I think it's the latest example that a lot of companies have kind of tried to draw more realism and sports into their products. And we've seen that with WWE going to Fox and stuff like that. So it, it was really fun to to write about that and talk to to Pro Wrestling Musings, that, that great website who tracks all this manually. He times matches like with a pen and paper. He has a stopwatch. He counts all the moves he tracks it makes graphs and does all this great work and he's not the only one who does this a lot of other people do it but it was great to kind of get insight into that and um yeah the newsletter i'm i uh unfortunately due to uh, some legal stuff with california and i'm not working with uh sb nation anymore so i I wanted to at least have a kind of a safe outlet where i can still write yeah and um i've always wanted to write about wrestling and if um i thought let me try this out and write about the Lakers at the same time and hopefully a few people read it and enjoy it and share it. So uh, it's called Throwdowns. It's found at Substack. Uh, You could just go to my Twitter and I plug it constantly. I haven't been able to release anything because I've been sick, as you might have guessed with my coughs. But uh, I have some fun stuff. I have another um, wrestling interview, which I think a lot of people will enjoy coming up soon. And I, I really appreciate you coming on with us. I, I, you have been sick the last week, the last yeah. week or so, and um, you sore throat. And I asked you for 15 minutes, and it's been 45. So <laughs> I, I always appreciate it because we have a blast talking. And uh, you're one of my favorite 
basketball people to talk to. We can talk about the Lakers. We can talk about everyone else. And then we're always going to get into wrestling. And for hey, sure. and we got a good a good trade for the Dodgers too. So we have a some oh, some things man. to look forward to with Mookie Betts, huh? It, it's great to be a fan right now of of the things that we enjoy. You and, yes. and myself, uh, wrestling, wrestling, Lakers, Dodgers. We're in good shape right now. We're in really good shape right now. Uh, give us uh, one more time. Give us your plug on social media. Where can we find you? Yeah, you can find me at Alex M Regla on Twitter, and then. Through there, you can find my newsletter, which comes out hopefully this weekend. I think another issue. It's called Throwdowns, Substack, it's Wrestling Lakers, and maybe some other stuff. But uh, definitely appreciate you having me on again. I, I always love uh, talking to you. Awesome. Yeah, we'll have to have you, have you back on a few times uh, between now and the end of the season and kind of uh, chart the progress and then start talking as we get, get into playoff time. Sounds good, man. Okay, Alex, thanks a lot. Feel better. Go take, uh, go take some medicine and get a nap. Uh, you, can, you can quiet that voice for a little while now. I appreciate it Thank you buddy So uh, that was Alex Regla You can follow him on Twitter at Alex M Regla We'll be back on That's What G Said After a quick break And a big thank you to Alex Make sure to follow along All of his stuff on on social media We'll try to get Alex back a couple times Between now and the end of the basketball season And uh, see how the, the Lakers season Has progressed towards the end of the year Up next, time for some Sam Houston. We'll first talk Sam Houston Friday. Then we'll bring on Nick Tamaro. We talk uh, Sam Houston Saturday with Nick. And then I'll go through my Sam Houston Saturday selection. So we have some Sammy H coming up for Friday the 21st and for Saturday the 22nd. First up, let's, uh, let's talk some Friday. Horse racing fans and bettors of all kinds, we are very excited to be covering the races from Sam Houston Race Park here on That's What G Said on each and every episode. They're broadcasting in HD, they have bigger purses, turf racing over there, but for me, the key is that 12% low takeout on their multi-leg wagers. Doubles, pick threes, pick fours, pick fives. They are building a great program over there. It truly is major league racing. We have to give a big applause to the TTA, the Texas Thoroughbred Association. They've added new incentives and bonus programs for buying and selling horses so it's better for the customers and it's better for the horsemen in Texas. Their social media presence has been bumped up. You can follow them at SHRP Racing on Twitter and you're going to find morning training videos, the Monday Minute jockey interviews or if you're not on Twitter you can find all the information at SHRP.com They're just working so hard to treat their horsemen and women and the betters right so let's give them a little bit of our focus. A couple big days coming up February the 22nd is Texas Preview Day, and the big day, March the 21st, that is Texas Champions Day. We'll be covering all of that action here on That's What G Said with all sorts of different interviews focusing in on Sam Houston. Make sure when you go to play the races, give Sam Houston a look with that ultra-low 12% takeout in the multi-leg wagers. Friday, February the 21st, get your past performances out for some Sam Houston. We'll try to get through this quickly so this isn't a a seven-hour episode of That's What G Said podcast. In race number two, it does start that early pick four sequence. I'm going to use the the seven, Dr. Boar, as my top selection in here. 
I really liked his last effort. It was his first start coming off the, the bench in a few months. He hadn't raced since September. He made a big middle move from six right up into contention at the top of the lane, and then he ducked down in between horses. He was up to second before fading. He lost to a horse that got a perfect trip that day. Dr. Bohr should take a big step forward in his second start since September. The eight-game-day decision will be on All My Exotics, a horse who tried uh, tougher on the grass last out and who should sit a really nice trip um, tracking the speed. He could get a jump on the closers there. So we use seven, eight, the six Kansas City zip in a nice spot. Trying to or this this is one who tried to stretch the the speed last time out to six and a half furlongs after the, the six furlong win, two starts back. And it was a race that was on the off track. I think you can just put a line right through that. So seven, eight. Six, the three foolish Steve will also be including. This one was outrun, was back to last, was 10 off, had to angle out widest of all while 9th uh, Street got more of an in-between trip. And I'm okay with taking a shot against 9th Street in here. So 7-8, uh, 6-3 will be the uh, the horses to include in race number two at Sam Houston. We'll go through the, uh, the pick four. And the the horses that we really like uh, as like the, the keys to the entire card uh, at the end in race number three, we're gonna go to the number five Poppy's Oats, who got stuck inside after a fine star moved up onto the heels of a rival, then had to tap on the brakes, then got shuffled back, lost momentum, and and held second really well even after that. Trouble behind the favorite. I'm going to make the number five top selection in what doesn't really look like the strongest race in the world. We'll also use the number 11, who is no doubt the one to beat. That's more than stature, who had a slow start, then was up to challenge three deep. And I'm talking about the two back race on December the 5th, and then took a shot going long on the grass against a tougher last time out. So 5 11, and then the seven, Wonders Pride who's just kind of a horse if you want to take a little bit of a shot in here on the big drop, cutting back, back to the third, third off the long layoff, just kind of treating him like a total wild card in here. So I have 5-11-7 in race number three. Let's move to race number four. This one does look a little bit chalky. I think you, you can just kind of start with the one rock and roll, rocket from the inside, um, the four, uh, stupefy, first time gelding with the big speed, the, the five, Callan Dave, who had a slow start last time out, was wide, then made a big sustained rally and was a clear-cut second. And now Cabrera's jumping aboard. And then the sixth, Future Abundance, who comes in from Churchill and from Fairgrounds. I think those are the logical horses to include. So um, not, nothing too creative or outside the box for me in race number four where uh, I'll go one, four, five, and six, and, and I'll have them in that order depending on how deep you want to go, how much you can afford to use. Uh, it just... Yeah, not a race where I have the, the strongest opinion. And then you have a, a race like number, like race five, where you you've got a group of maiden special weights, and you can start making a case in here for just about everyone. I mean, the one Tasman who gets the rail draw, and I, I'm a little worried that she doesn't have a ton of speed, and she and maybe she gets out running here. But I, I kind of like what she did in, in her second start, and I, I do like the cutback. She 
made an early bid on the outside all the way up to battle for the lead and just couldn't go on with the top two. Showed some ability last time out. There's a, there's something there with this one. The four sees the crown had a slow start from the rail and then moved up into a tight spot, and now you get the big cutback there um, from 6.5 to 5.5. The, uh, the 8 of Jade Yoro. It, this this is your your horse to beat, right? You have a horse who debuted at Delta, going longer, lost to an experienced runner last time out when taking money as the favorite. You have Impassion, who's a first-time starter for Brett Calhoun, whose damn was a multiple-stakes winner and earned 300000 So, I mean, you, you can really make cases for many in here. Deja Sue was a step slow, then rushed up to press four deep. There's, you know... No reason she can't take a, a little step forward second time out, but now she's going to be facing open company after facing state breads in the uh, in the debut, uh, and those are Oklahoma breads. You can make a case for Dacamo Rose and Fast Broad both in here. Uh, the big cutback helps a Fast Broad, and then Dacamo Rose dams one a couple times, and this is a a, a barn who's. You know, always been pretty good with first-time starters for their last 14. This race, you go as deep as you can. I had four, eight, one, nine, three, six, seven, and was a wide-open fifth race. Race number six, start of your late pick five sequence. The ten horse is is where I'm going to start with just Blaze who had a slow start. He was squeezed out of a, a spot back to last, and he angled out widest of all. It was a good effort not having raced since October. I think he he's going to improve in here, and he doesn't have to need to improve that much. We've seen what he's capable of on a top-level effort. The the six Sneem, who sat off, angled around, a very logical contender in here, and then Call Me Richard, who is looking for his third win in a row, but he... Gets back to the grass. He he's only raced on the grass one time, and that was in a gate to wire win back in May of 2019. 10-6-3 in race number six at Sam Houston. In race seven, I'm gonna start with the nine. Uncorked humor. I, I just who goes with him early on? I just don't know. Who in this race is going to be quick enough if Uncorked Humor is asked for some speed in here? Now, does that mean he can hold on and win this race after stretching out from five and five and a half furlongs to a mile? No, but I think he's going to be the controlling pace in here. The three, Big Egypt. I like the fact that you claim him, you step him up against Tougher on the on the, the grass. You come back to the dirt where you've actually had a little bit of success, like a couple of sneaky, decent efforts on the grass, or on the, on the main. So Big Egypt will be in the second spot here, nine three, and then the four Grand Red, who's you know not a win machine by any means, but getting some class relief and has proven at the very least that he'll pick up pieces. And then the one Queen's Red Boy, who I think got got a nice race out of the. The way last time out needed that. That that was the prep. Expect a big step forward from Queens Reds boy. Nine three four one in race seven at Sam Houston. 
Race number eight. Oh, wouldn't you believe it? LeBron J. This is a good spot for, for LeBron J, who has shown early speed in, in both. Now tries the grass for the first time. Cuts back to five furlongs, but two puts two starts together. I think in a race where you look up and down and you know, nobody really scares you. I, I think with his tough speed, with his early speed, he should be much more fit this time out. The seven, Hoboken, steps up off the claim for Broberg, but comes in from Churchill and steps up at Sam Houston. So this might not be too huge in particular in this particular race. This is like more of a lateral move. So we'll use the five and the seven in uh, in race number eight. We'll put the five on top of the seven. In race number nine, the the six is going to be the, the top selection in here. Three-time charmer. And you can look at the race. Three-time charmer is coming out of last time out. Tougher in a race that's already come back to be productive. Let's key off the December 15th race in a similar spot over at Remington Park. And this is... A gelding who has some speed Three starts back he wasn't really able to use that speed As much because he lost to a horse who was just Kind of gunned who who has really Good speed also Three time charmer Catching a group That doesn't have that much Early pace signed on I think he could be Loose on the front End the three Smiling cobra Shouldn't be too far out of it. And, and he's shown the ability to get involved a little bit more in, in his last couple starts. But he's not exactly quick. So 6-3 will just be the, the two that we include in race number 9 at Sam Houston. And then race number 10. We will start with a 5 in here. The bird is the word. Looks like a, a consistent type in, in in a field that I just don't love. I just don't love this this group that much. So DeBird is the word we'll use. The seven railroader will include comes in from Zia on, on the twenty second of January and then gets a sloppy group, uh, hooks a sloppy race, not sloppy group, a sloppy track, and you know you see races like that. You have to be able to build an excuse and. You, you'll get a little bit better price because, you know, they threw in a poor effort on and off racetrack. Railroaders on the tickets. The three, Unkale, who is looking to continue on with a really nice form as of late, coming off of a, a third-place effort. You're going to get some speed from Unkale. And, and then the eight will also include uh, Brangelina as a little bit of a price. You, you can make excuses for the last couple. Right, sloppy racetrack. The race back in April sent her to the bench, or sent him to the bench for, you know, ten, nine, ten months or so. Don't be surprised if you get a better effort from Brangelina. Five, seven, three, eight in race number ten at Sam Houston. And the horses to include in all of your exotics that we're going to be keying around. Second race, number seven, Dr. Boer. 
Third race, number five, Poppy's Oats. Sixth race, number 10, Just Blaze. Ninth race, number six, three-time charmer. Let's go to the second race. A couple pick fours for you to take a look at. Maybe something like uh, second race, three, six, seven, eight, with the five singled in the third, with the one, four, five, six. And then, you know, that fifth race, as many as you can use uh, one ticket, we'll go one, three, four, six, seven, eight, nine. And you can play another pick four in that second race, uh, something like seven, eight, with five, seven, eleven, with one, four, with all to close out in that fifth. And then in race number six, you have the pick five. You can go three, six, ten on one ticket with the three, nine, with the five, seven, with the three, six, with the three, five, seven, eight. And then another ticket will go up. Sixth race, pick five, three, six, ten, with one, three, four, nine, with five, seven, with three, six, with three, five, seven. Good luck on Friday over at Sam Houston. Let's get to Saturday. What we'll do first is we'll go to the interview that we have with the odds maker over there, the morning line odds maker at Sam Houston, Nick Tamaro. We're going to talk with Nick about the four stakes races on a big Saturday night at Sam Houston. And then after the interview with Nick, I will recap some of my plays and kind of roll real quickly through the uh, the Saturday card. So enjoy the interview with Nick Tamaro as we break down Saturday, February the 22nd from Sam Houston. Very excited about our, our next guest here on uh, That's What G Said podcast. In the horse racing world, you know, it's a, it's a small niche world. There's not a ton of us out there. We all kind of know each other's names. A lot of us, um, you know, online yeah, have interacted or um, kind of gone back and forth. But a lot of times we don't get to sit down and, and meet each other or talk to each other. So this will be a fun one because I've been meaning to talk with Nick Campbell for a while. If you if you play the races, you know Nick. He's a, a very sharp handicapper. He's been a tournament player for a long time. He's kind of uh, someone who's on social media, watching races a lot, giving his opinion. And very happy to have him join us now. He's actually the the morning line odds maker over at Sam Houston, and you've heard us talk a lot of Sam Houston over the last month or so. Nick, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Tino. Uh, so, Nick, before we get into uh, the Saturday Sam Houston races, start talking about that. Why don't you give us a little background of yourself? Like, how'd you get into uh, to horse racing and uh, and gambling, and kind of where we are now? Sure, I um, going back all the way to the late '80s, early '90s. My my family relocated from New York down to Texas, and I lived in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area with my parents, which where there was no racetrack, of course. And so my father asked me if I wanted to go with him on a day trip to New Orleans, and we went. And, of course, the day trip was to go to the fairgrounds, and uh, <laughs> I absolutely loved it. He sat and showed me how to read the racing form, and as soon as we got back home, I said to him, when are we going back? And, and it turned out that Trinity Meadows opened a, a few months later. And so we became regulars. It was a 45-mile drive from where we lived down south of Dallas out to, to Trinity Meadows, which was about 20 miles west of Fort Worth. So we made that trip, gosh, probably a thousand times during the, uh, the years when we lived there. And, and so the, you know, I caught the bug. I, I, was, I was committed to it. I loved the, the puzzle of I'm somebody who likes puzzles and likes trying to figure things out in general. So the, the art of handicapping and, and trying to figure out what could happen and, 
and then watching it unfold and feeling the euphoria of when you're right was uh, it was just something I was immediately drawn to. And, and fortunately, it's grown from there. I've been able to do meet people, do things, see things, experience things via racing that I really would have never thought were possible. So I, uh, I think my mother might lament a little bit that he took me to fairgrounds that day, but uh, I certainly don't. <laughs> so when when you're handicapping and we're, when you're breaking a race down, what are some of the things that are important to you? And then how does that differ a little bit from when you're just handicapping versus like when you're making the morning line like you're doing now over at Sam Houston? Right. It is, there's a fine line between the two, no doubt about it. Um, and, and, and I've been able to experience, I think, all sort of handicapping in that sense, having been a public handicapper for a long time from 2008 until 2016. I handicapped for a couple of different services up in upstate New York, a capital OTB and, and Saratoga uh, harness track. And, um, and so when you're doing that, obviously, you're going through the process similar to how you would if you were betting. And, and for me, I mean, it, the race itself starts with pace considerations, uh, trying to figure out and, and form a, a mental framework as to how the race might be run. And, and so I think that's one of the, one of the signature parts I would say of, of how you're supposed to approach a race is that you want to, you want to have a deep understanding of what you think is going to happen. And then when you analyze it objectively afterwards, you want to consider how the race was run more so than you do necessarily who won. And, um, and so that's, that's pretty much the, the number one part of, of how I approach handicapping, obviously trips and track biases and things like that enter into the conversation, especially when you're, you're talking about a circuit that you follow very closely when you can put in that kind of work and, and see the things that happen day in and day out. I think you just gain a deeper understanding for, for what's going on. Now with the morning line, you're, you're trying to predict how the public's going to bet, right? So you, the, the, you separate yourself a little bit as a handicapper because you might find in a place like Sam Houston, obviously Steve Asmussen wins it in a, a really high percentage. And so you sort of have that Asmussen adjustment as I keep reminding myself where you might move the prices down on some of his horses, a tick or two, um, because you know that they're going to receive a mm-hmm. tremendous amount of support at the window. So mm-hmm. that's an adjustment that you make with some of the, the bigger name trainers and, and the more successful ones. And, um, and you have to take that into consideration really right from the start. Yeah, and you know, a place like Sam Houston, which is a smaller track, but I, I, we got to admit, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about them before we get into the races too. They've um, really, really done some awesome work this year, in particular with the the HD product and the, the you know the the money that came through in Texas. And what what I love about what Sam Houston did is they put it, they put the money right back into the things that us, the horse players, would like. They improve the product, the purses go up. Which means they're going to get better horses that come in, and we're able to see things a little bit better. And they they continued. They didn't they didn't get a bunch of purses and say, okay, now we're going to raise our takeout. You know, they they right. kept that that stand that with with Sam Houston. Their selling point is, hey, we have this twelve percent low takeout on all these multi leg wagers. You can play doubles, pick threes, pick fours, pick fives, and if you're into the jackpot stuff, we have some of those too. And you're going to get the opportunity to get a little bit more of a bang for your buck back. Have you noticed that? At a track like that, it's a little bit harder maybe to make the morning line because you can get one horse that kind of takes a lot of money and then they just get hit really hard. Yeah, that that would probably be the biggest frustration. I mean, I'm harder on myself than sure. anybody probably would be. Um, and, and and so you do. You, you feel like, boy, that two to one shot really should have been more like three to five. 
um, or something like that. Or what really bothers me are the you know eight or ten to one shots that go off at three or four to one, and when when it scratches or something else that contributes to that, you don't worry quite as much. But obviously, it's a, it's a big challenge in, in that respect. So um, I, I think it's 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 going through and and predicting as accurately as possible how the public's going to bet, and then it's making that next round of adjustments based on some of the things that might be going on uh, with the last few days with jockeys with trainers and um and trying to to capture as much of that as possible now without question and and i joke with with some of my the people that i'm friendly with that that work at the racetrack um the the quality of the product has improved a ton oh and and you know for for a lot of people out there who have wondered why the purses are so much bigger this year than they've ever been before uh, it's because of some some a fee that was being paid tax that was being paid on grain and feed for livestock throughout Texas, which is obviously there's a tremendous amount of that was now is being diverted to a fund for the Texas racing commission. So it's sort of, it's letting the racetracks know like, Hey, you're not going to have any alternative gaming, but we're going to give you access to $25 million a year, basically in purse money. And so I think you'll see a substantial increase in the, in the purse accounts at each, uh, each of the three racetracks over the next few years, it's going to facilitate two to 250,000 a day in, uh, in purse money, which for a place like Sam Houston, that's colossal. The purses oh. have never been that big. It basically so. was able to create this day that we're going to talk about. This, exactly this right. This is a day. brand right, right. This is a brand new day in terms of being a, a preview card. It's it's four stakes races that were previously run. They've just been repositioned on the calendar. But now what they've been able to do is create three days, three distinct days of stakes racing that uh, that will offer good competitive cards. The first of which was the Houston Ladies Classic. Now this tomorrow Saturday night and uh, and the uh, Texas Champions card at the end of the meet in, in late March. Yeah, and I think for some of the people out there who maybe Because for me, you know, I, I would dabble in Sam Houston a little bit here and there I covered it sometimes on TVG or like, you know, I'm watching Ladies Classic or b- different big days that were over there But not something that I was playing, you know, daily until the last couple years You know, when you start playing more, you start, like anything, you start learning You, you have to always be able to, to kind of want to improve your handicapping And the more and more you look at it, it's like, man, I I, I, this product isn't bad. They have grass racing over there, and if I'm going to get a bang for my buck, more back for my for my dollar, why am I not going to play this racetrack? You know, once the quality has raised a little bit, I think this is an, a track that I you know I'm I'm promoting every day because I'm playing it myself with my own money. We had there was a pick five there today. I picked, paid forty grand. I mean, you can hit huge scores. And what's best, what's great about the low takeout is even if it chalks out, you're going to get more for the chalk. Exactly, no doubt about it. And you know what? Look, as horse players, we've got to put our money where our mouth is. And there's a lot of chatter about low takeout and how sort of disenfranchised a lot mm-hmm. of horse players are with what we're given on a regular basis in terms of takeout and transparency and signal distribution and all of those things. And the only thing you can do is is bet the tracks that are trying to help you with it. And Sam Houston is a place that for years and years has had a really low takeout rate on pick threes, pick fours, pick fives. And uh, and that's something that you that we really you know collectively it would behoove us to support a racetrack that's doing things like that because uh, it, it's it that's something that we want you know we want this done we don't need we don't need a preponderance of jackpot bets right we know we need tracks that are looking to to get takeout rates down into that low you know low teen range and and even twelve percent where Sam Houston is because as you alluded to I mean you you see tremendous bang for your buck on the multi race bets and and even in sequences where it does chalk out a little bit you get a much better return than you would otherwise but even at a 15 percent takeout yeah. rate uh, since it's it's 12 so and what what i like too is that you and this will probably be the last thing before we get into the specifics of the race is that 
you know, a lot of the the tracks that'll do the low takeout pick five, which is great. We all love it. But what's so nice about Sam Houston is, like, you know, maybe you're looking at the pick five at Aqueduct or Santa Anita, and you're going, ah, you know, and I just, I really don't like this sequence today for whatever reason. It's like really small fields, or there's, there's going to be a couple heavy favorites, or there's like a race or two that I don't really have an opinion on. You don't feel forced to play any specific sequence. Like if you don't like the pick five that day, you could play the pick four. You could play a double. You know, like I, I got so I haven't played doubles in so long because the takeout on the doubles was so much higher than other bets that I just kind of got away from it. But it's like, hey, when you have everything multi-race wagers that's at twelve percent, I really feel like I can kind of focus in and hone in on the race or two that I like. And man, my handicapping the last few weeks, I'm feeling like it's improving. Like you go into the day at Sam Houston, you don't feel like you're losing before you start. You don't feel like you're getting like. Screwed over like you do feel like at a lot of the racetracks before you walk in the door It's like ah man I've already like I already feel like I'm losing a chunk of my money So I don't know it's just for me as a better in particular I, I feel just a lot better knowing that I can kind of pick and choose my spot so much nicer You definitely feel like you're being wiser with your wagering dollar and we don't get a whole lot of opportunities to do that So I think yeah when we finally find one it's it's sort of natural to uh, hone in as much as you can and and take that chance Okay, Nick, let's get into the uh, the races on Saturday night So we're going to be uh, get your past performances out, folks We're going to look at the four stakes races for Sam Houston on Saturday, February the 22nd We'll start with race number six here This is the Miss Houston Turf And, I mean, just based on the morning line This was a, a really kind of fun race to handicap You can go in a lot of different directions This is one of those races where, man, three or four horses may vie for favoritism in here Probably, you know, start with a horse like the two She's our fastest Who's coming in off of a couple good open races on the dirt over at Delta We'll see if, if she's able to kind of transfer the form back to the grass Then you have a couple horses like the six Texas Bell Who, and the seven, she's pretty lucky Who have just been facing a little bit better last time out The 12 would have a big a big shot I might like her a little bit more if she wasn't parked so far out wide So who do you kind of start with And who are some of the ones that you're going to be keying in on in this race? Yeah, I, I think that, uh, that one of the one of the things that you said that's really key in this is the respective post draws of She's Our Fastest and Corluna. Um, She's Our Fastest was a, a six to five favorite in the Fiesta Mile, which is for the same division uh, over at Ratama, and that race took place in September. The pace was pretty moderate, and uh, and Discreet Smile was able to go wire to wire, and She's Our Fastest came up short, but uh, but both she and, and Corluna. Ran winning races, and I think Corluna maybe a little bit more so just because she came, tried to come from a little bit farther off of it. I felt like that was a race that was really run at a rather deliberate early clip and certainly worked in the favor of Discreet Smile. Now, this race looks like it's going to have a pretty strong pace. There are a number of horses that want to be interested early, and uh, and if that materializes, and I think things undoubtedly could set up for a little bit of a late runner. I felt like of the horses coming out of open company, you probably wanted to side with Texas Bell slightly over. She's pretty lucky. She's pretty lucky has some excellent running lines the problem is they're just starting to slip farther and farther down her past yep. performances and and the jersey lily was a, a pretty awful performance all things considered she was 16 to 1 that day whereas texas bell was 92 to 1 and uh, and texas bell i thought ran about what you would expect she tracked the pace and, and weakened a little bit late but there's no question that she's going to benefit from getting back to a uh, to state bred competition she won the the san jacinto at sam houston last year as a three to five favorite so clearly this and she has deshaun parker riding which 
I've noticed, of course, in making the morning line is something that a lot of people uh, key in on. They like to see the mm-hmm. uh, the hot riding jockey. So, I mean, if I was making a pick, I, 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 I'm going to bet Corluna in this race. I'm going to take the chance of her working out a trip from the outside, hoping that that she can get over. Um, it's it's the, the mile with the relatively decent run to the first turn. These races themselves often uh, lead to fast paces because of that long straightaway. And if this thing heats up, then I think you want somebody coming from off of it. And for me, Corluna will probably offer the most value. Yeah, I think we, we've kind of sniffed out the, the major contenders in here. I, I think if we're going to be able to get like over five to one, I would maybe give Sheaves pretty lucky one more shot with the blinks. I'm with you though. Like this, this is probably getting to the point where it's like it's put up or shut up time. It's like now or never time because on her best day, like if she shows up with an A game, that probably beats this group handily. But as you mentioned, it's just starting to get back to where, you know, these races where she's running against better But she should be running a little bit better I, I would still like to see her show a little bit more In some of these spots And she hasn't I'm okay with her at 5-1 to one or over I don't really want to take less than that But I, I do like um, the, the 12 in here a bit And I think if we can get around that price like Those are the two horses that I might key in on As you mentioned in this big field I'm, I'm okay with maybe siding against She's our fastest Or maybe using her more in underneath spots And then, and then Texas Bell Really hard to kind of Make too strong of a case against because she's another one who's coming out of some really good races. And you mentioned the the hot riding Parker in there. Any of any bombs or any anything else in here you want to mention? No, I think that just about sums it up. I, I mean, I, I think yeah. I think if you wanted to take an off the pace horse, maybe as as one that could fill in at a bit of a price, that's probably the type that I would look at. I mean, I could see maybe maybe like a My Royal Rocket being able to fill in for third mm-hmm. or something like that with the expectation of pace. Um, Herb's Love is is going to be moving late and and is probably not going to be a huge price, but was a pretty astute claim two back and uh, came back and won a one and one other than obviously has a much bigger purse now than it used to. So claiming for seventeen five and running right back is actually. Actually, something that uh, that people are more inclined to do. Let's move on to race number seven. It is the three-year-old Philly Stakes race. They're going to go, go six furlongs. This is the two Altizano, two Altizano. I said that right, right? Yeah, there we go. Uh, and uh, the the way this race shapes up is funny. It, it's it's a short field. It's just a field of six. But when you're going through each one of them, you you can. You know, you can kind of make a case for for you know at least all five, and and you know, Suze Easter Girl, at least she has some speed in here. So the way the race shapes up is going to be interesting to me because th- that's maybe where I think you can you can find a price in here. Still a tune. I mean, how bizarre it w- was it that you have an Asmussen horse at fourteen to one win pretty easily like that over a Delta? It was like a like a head scratcher that horse went off at that kind of a price, and and she did it pretty impressively. And then you have Brightest who was able to kind of repel. Tell me you love me. Um, it's my money has some speed in here. I thought this was um, you know a, a group with some quality three year old fillies in here. Where do you start? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think uh, there's no question that while contention runs deep, even despite the size of the field, there's there should be a pretty decent early pace. And that feels yep. like it, it's going to work to the favor of, of David Cabrera on the Stilatoon, who was able to rate just off the pace and get the job done last time, as you mentioned, at 14 to 1, um, despite being a, a Steve Asmussen trainee that had run two respectable races, I guess, as a yeah. two-year-old. And and this is kind of a reminder, and, and I think it's, it's probably a, a handicapping angle I don't really put enough stock into it at all but um horses that are advancing from two to three off a little bit of a layoff often improve naturally just with the the time for maturity yep. and clearly that happened with still a tune now did it account for the entire 34 point uh, yeah, increase? i'm not sure about that but 
um, no doubt that there was being engaged in, in being relatively close to the pace that day. Probably, uh, I probably made Stilatoon elevate his, her game a little bit more in and of itself. It seems like she's come back very strongly. A couple of bullet workouts for a barn that generally doesn't ask their horses to do very much in the morning. So, I mean, it feels like this horse has kind of has him over a barrel. A brightest looks like the, the, clearest alternative um last time of course finding a, a finding her friends you could say in in facing texas breads after getting uh, embroiled in a really strong pace in her debut at remington on a day where the card was the uh, track was extremely slow as uh, she was mixed up in a hot pace and she took a lot of money that day being six to one against open company um so i would imagine brightest is a horse that probably will be set up outside of some of the other speed and in a lot of cases you'll you'll get a horse that's that uh, so-called outside speed and and they end up rating perfectly. So I think she's probably the the one that you would want to use in a multi-race play along with Stilatune. But, I mean, it feels to me as if Stilatune uh, ends up a pretty likely winner. Yeah, I, I'm not going to try to beat Stilatune. I will, um, depending on the price we get and in some of the late exotics, I, I will throw in the six just for the reason of, of how this race could unfold. Because if, you know, I, I could see scenarios where the two, the four, the five are kind of battling, and then maybe Silatune gets caught up a little bit too close early on, coming out of the five for a long race, maybe a little too keen. And then Tell Me You Love Me might be able to sit a trip. I actually like the race against Brightest where she she kind of is able to, to loom up. She breaks well. Um, she takes the, the lead at the top of the lane, and then she's repelled by Brightest who kind of battles back. But if she has a little more speed to run at, if there's a little bit more of a target in here, if they go quick early, I think she might be able to at least, you know, you when you make you know spice things up, you can make some excuses for the early races in her career where she had some trouble the first couple times, um, and then the June race she sent to the bench for a few months, the August race she's then sent to the bench again till the, the start of the year. I'm thinking if you just key off her twenty, uh, off her 2020 races, that she's got a little bit of a shot to kind of hook up at least with Stilatune. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you're talking about a horse that was only beaten in neck by one of the major players and, and you know, didn't really disgrace herself last time in coming back from that. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I think if you're using the context of who can win should the, the two favorites stub their toes, then, yeah, I think she's she's one that you would certainly uh, give pretty decent consideration. Let's move to race number eight, which is the Houston turf. And I believe we found out that, unfortunately, one of the uh, the better Texas breads, really of all time, Mr. Moneybags is going to have to scratch out of this one. Just a, a minor uh, setback, it seems, right? But but we're gonna, not going to have Mr. Moneybags in here? Uh, you know what? If you're telling me that's the case, you're probably right. I had not okay, noticed, yeah, I, but I've not, I've not been on social media as much today. So, yeah, that's 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 unfortunate, of course. Yeah, because Mr. Moneybags was awesome last year, was uh, just... Really starting to to be a horse who is going to be able to like compete legitimately. I think what they they thought with Open Company as they move forward. So I think if you you know if you take him out of this race, and, and he he's obviously the one that would be the obvious horse to beat, the overwhelming one, the one you you have to beat. But if you take him out of here, I don't think there's a whole ton of pace. And and for me, the two. Would be upgraded quite a bit in here Making his second start off the bench So in this Houston turf um, Now if this race is taken off the grass Direct dial is obviously going to be a horse You have to use who's entered for the main track only What are some of your thoughts about this Houston turf 
Yeah, I think you're definitely right about the pace scenario with uh, with Mr. Moneybags coming out. It does not look like it's going to be particularly quick, and and really the only other horse with a whole with any any appreciable amount of speed uh, outside of uh, of Sunlit Song would probably be Redditory. So um, this this would be a very fortuitous scratch for for the Sunlit Song camp, no doubt about it. This is a horse that's been. Uh, been very solid over the Houston turf in the past was second in this race last year uh, when this race was run on the Houston ladies classic undercard and has come close to breaking through in a, in Texas bread stakes in the past. So, you know, I think drawn inside, you're certainly going to see him forwardly placed probably on a, on a relatively lonely lead. And he's going to end up meeting up with a couple of his old friends in, in Bonjour baby and, uh, and redditory. They've, they've thrown it down quite a few times. Um, redditory is both, both redditory and sun Song actually come from barns that have done very well in texas over the years and are just really struggling at this one um in large part because obviously the competition's much stiffer than it's been in the past but uh also because mindy willis has just had no racing luck at all she got 13 yeah. second and third place finishes uh from 46 starters with just a couple of wins so things are going to start to break her way i think over the second half of this meet and sunlit song uh, just might end up being the horse that that starts all of that uh, you mentioned mr moneybags of course being one of the better texas breads of all time and he definitely is and, and he was just electric last time on the uh on the ladies classic undercard i actually make the buyer figures for sam houston too and 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 ended up noticing at the end of the day that it looked like he was going to be somewhere in the vicinity of of 95 to 98 and as i made the figures realized that it was actually more like 100 and and it was it was a very very strong effort so hopefully he'll get right and we can see him back doing what he does best which i think of course is sprinting on the dirt um and, and he would look he would have been an interesting horse in here for a lot of reasons he's a really good horse he's a really cool horse um he but he's also one that was going to take a lot of money yeah Yes. So if you're of the opinion that he's probably not going to be a turf horse, then you were looking forward to betting against him. So alas, we won't get that try this time around. And and I think uh, I can certainly see myself now with the expected pace scenario ending up on a horse like Sunlit Song. Yeah, I think uh, the quote here, this was in an article from uh, Mary Rampolini yesterday. He had a little setback last week getting ready for this. Uh, the trainer said he's going to be having a... A little time off, he was just doing so good It's frustrating, but it's horse racing So that's unfortunate, it doesn't seem like it's anything too too huge for Mr. Moneybags, who should be back soon, but he won't be in here. And yeah, so that'll that'll definitely change the entire complexion of like the odds and and the morning line in this race with with him out of there. Uh, the Sunlit Song and Bonjour Baby, you mentioned they'll probably um, you know battle for for favoritism in here. And I just don't know who else will go with Sunlit Song early. This could be a, a really good spot for Willis to get back into the uh, the winner's circle after that unlucky start that you mentioned. So no Mr. Moneybags, but still a big field, still some quality. And uh, we'll see if Sunlit Song can get out front and slow things down Let's get to race number 9 This is the Jim's Orbit for 3 year olds They're going to go 6 furlongs in here And just a field of 7 But the morning line favorite Well, the two horses I guess you have to start with Are both the Asmussen horses We have two Asmussen horses in here And two Calhoun horses in here The Asmussen's are more proven and they've actually defeated Open Company in their recent starts, which is always a big, big plus when you jump back into state bred competition like this. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, a lot of these races pretty frequently end up being Asmussen versus Calhoun showdowns. Yeah. And uh, this certainly seems like it. 
um, I, I think that what you're what you're running into here, of course, is how you want to handle the open company form of a horse like Good Judgment versus the Texas bred form of of a horse, or and and, real, and and the open company form of Bubba Bling against the Texas bred form of a horse like Gold Pilot. And I just feel like both of the Asbison trainees are so much more advanced in terms of where they are now um, relative to to uh, a horse like Gold Pilot that you pretty much end up favoring those two. And look, I mean, at this stage of the game with these horses, you want to upgrade any horse that's been successful rating off the pace. And uh, these horses are still relatively young, relatively lightly raced, and good judgments win last time at Oaklawn based on any measurable speed figure. And, and I think even the the eye test, if you want to delve into that realm, uh, would certainly make him very tough to beat. So he was three to five in, in the early part of his two-year-old season in, in a state-bred stake race up at Lone Star and ended up coming up a little bit short, but uh, certainly came back off the layoff in, in very strong form. And I would imagine having dangled him for 40,000, Steve Asbjorn was hoping that, that he would get to keep him and that he would run the way he did so he's probably very relieved um as he figures to be a, a pretty strong favorite in a race now suddenly for seventy five thousand dollars yeah he he's it it does seem like um just from like a pace standpoint just from like a tactical standpoint that both the the calhoun and the asmussen horses they they seem like they might complement each other pretty well though because you may get you know one of them to show speed and the other one to sit a little bit to me when i'm looking at this race i think just one of the keys to the race is is a horse like Cafe Gold, and then down on the inside you have Wonders of His Love. But can Cafe Gold also be a part of that early pace? Because now if you're going to get Wonders of His Love, who has inside speed, and from the rail, you know they're going to have to go. If Cafe Gold is also going to be going, and, and then Good Judgment is going to be forwardly placed, that is where we could maybe get Gold Pilot home. But I, I agree with you, just from a quality standpoint, like he he he's going to really need to trip out. A little bit in here he, he ran really well to win And he's run you know pretty well in all three of his starts He hasn't really run poorly But he just he doesn't have nearly as much of the tactical speed As it seems as the others And so I'm just worried Is he going to have like the positional speed to even keep up He might get outrun a little bit in here yeah, and I think that was his problem going back to his his uh, lone stakes try as yes. a two year old, and and you know he kind of fishtailed around there in the mud last time, didn't really look comfortable, and then sort of kicked it in late. And ended up diving to the inside um, to win the race. And, and it came back a fast race. It came back a much faster race than I expected. So I think he's, he's far from an outsider and, and should be a clear third choice or so. I would even, wouldn't be surprised to see him vie for uh, maybe second choice. And, and look, if they hook up early, I think he's definitely the prime beneficiary, no doubt about it. And there's no doubt coming off the layoff as well that he certainly took a step forward. And another step forward, I think, would make him a win candidate. Yeah, and where he's drawn to in this field, like he he should just be able to take back, save ground, and and angle around. I don't think he's gonna have to get like shuffled from the inside or anything. He should be able to kind of dictate a trip with the draw, and then just kind of hope that the the speed all comes back to him. So, I mean, if you're if you're playing this race and you're and you're looking for the you know a price to in, the price to include or the horse that could spice up your exotics, I, to me, I guess it's Gold Pilot. Um, after the three that we mentioned, could you could you build a case for anyone else in here? I think it's pretty tough. I think yeah, I, I think you're pretty much looking. And you mentioned wonders of his love. I think some that might believe that it could be a situation where he gets loose on the front end would be inclined to try that. But I don't really see much beyond it. 
No, and and just because the the two Asperson horses have so much like just kind of natural positional tracking speed, I don't even think that he could get too far away from them. That they'll probably be pretty pretty darn close. So, um, yeah, the the Jim's orbit concludes the four stakes races on Sam Houston Saturday night. And Nick, I, I really appreciate you coming on and joining me. It was a fun conversation. Uh, talk a little bit about racing and then get into some of the specifics here. So why don't you let the folks out there know where can we uh, find you on social media if we want to follow you. Yeah, please. Uh, N-T-A-M-M-1215 on Twitter, and uh, you'll see some musings here and there. I primarily discuss uh, outside of Sam Houston, New York racing. It was New York racing that I uh, publicly handicapped for many, many years. And um, in addition to hearing me here, I generally go on with Steve Vick every Friday morning at uh, 9 a.m. Central Time to uh, talk about big weekend races. And as obviously as we get closer to the summer, focus on uh, on races in New York. And uh, but feel free to say a few kind words or maybe some that aren't as kind. I can certainly handle them. I'm, I'm a horse player. I got thick skin. Oh yeah. So direct all your uh, your your morning line gripe right right there uh, on social media to to Nick. But you know what I gotta say for someone I, I've been paying attention. Um, and, and there are some days like last week It seemed like there was like a weird day Where some of these random horses were just getting Hit hard that I was like scratching my head Like man this money is coming in On, on some weird ones but for the most part man I think it's a, it's one of those jobs that it's you, No one's ever going to call you up and say Hey Nick that was a great job on the morning line But you're going to get crap when, when the morning line Is off so you know what when, when people aren't saying anything That's kind of when you're doing a good job Exactly. You feel like a grocery store manager, right? Nobody walks up to the grocery <laughs> store manager and says, boy, you guys did a great job today. They walk up and <laughs> complain about their favorite item not being available or things not being in the right place. So exactly. No news is good news in that respect. Nick, thank you so much. Uh, this was a lot of fun and I, I'd love to have you back again. We'll have to do this again sometime. No question about it. I would look forward to it. Thank you very much. That was uh, Nick Tamaro, and we'll be right back here in a moment on That's What G Said. Very excited about our, our next guest here on uh, That's What G Said podcast. In the horse racing world, you know, it's a, it's a niche world. There's not a ton of us out there. We all kind of know each other's names. A lot of us, um, you know, online yeah, have interacted or uh, kind of gone back and forth. But a lot of times we don't get to sit down and, and meet each other or talk to each other. So this will be a fun one because I've been meeting to talk with Nick Campbell for a while. If you if you play the races, you know Nick. He's a, a very sharp handicapper. He's been a tournament player for a long time. He's kind of uh, someone who's on social media, watching races a lot, giving his opinion. And very happy to have him join us now. He's actually the the morning line odds maker over at Sam Houston. And you've heard us talk a lot of Sam Houston over the last month or so. Nick, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Tino. Uh, so, Nick, before we get into uh, the Saturday Sam Houston races, start talking about that. Why don't you give us a little background of yourself? Like, how'd you get into uh, to horse racing and uh, and gambling, and kind of where we are now? Sure, I um, going back all the way to the late '80s, early '90s. My my family relocated from New York down to Texas, and I lived in the uh, Dallas Fort Worth area with my parents, which where there was no racetrack, of course. And so my father asked me if I wanted to go with him on a day trip to New Orleans. And we went, and of course, the day trip was to go to the fairgrounds, and uh, I absolutely loved it. He sat and showed me how to read the racing form, and as soon as we got back home, I said to him, when are we going back? And and it turned out that Trinity Meadows opened a, a few months later, and so we became regulars. It was a 45-mile drive from where we lived down south of Dallas out to 
to Trinity Meadows, which was about 20 miles west of Fort Worth. So we made that trip, gosh, probably a thousand times during the uh, the years when we lived there. And and so the, you know, I caught the bug. I, I was I was committed to it. I loved the the puzzle of I'm somebody who likes puzzles and likes trying to figure things out in general. So the the art of handicapping and and trying to figure out what could happen and and then watching it unfold and feeling the euphoria of when you're right was uh, it was just something I was immediately drawn to. And and fortunately, it's grown from there. I've been able to do meet people, do things, see things, experience things via racing that I really would have never thought were possible. So I, uh, I think my mother might lament a little bit that he took me to fairgrounds that day, but uh, <laughs> I certainly don't. So when, when you're handicapping and when you're breaking a race down, what are some of the things that are important to you? And then how does that differ a little bit from when you're just handicapping versus like when you're making the morning line, like you're doing now over at Sam Houston? Right. It is, there's a fine line between the two, no doubt about it. Um, and, and, and I've been able to experience, I think, all sort of handicapping in that sense, having been a public handicapper for a long time from 2008 until 2016. I handicapped for a couple of different services up in upstate New York, a capital OTB and, and Saratoga uh, harness track. And, um, and so when you're doing that, obviously, you're going through the process similar to how you would if you were betting. And, and for me, I mean, it, the race itself starts with pace considerations, uh, trying to figure out and, and form a, a mental framework as to how the race might be run. And, and so I think that's one of the, one of the signature parts I would say of, of how you're supposed to approach a race is that you want to, you want to have a deep understanding of what you think is going to happen. And then when you analyze it objectively afterwards, you want to consider how the race was run more so than you do necessarily who won. And, um, and so that's, that's pretty much the, the number one part of, of how I approach handicapping, obviously trips and track biases and things like that enter into the conversation, especially when you're, you're talking about a circuit that you follow very closely when you can put in that kind of work and, and see the things that happen day in and day out. I think you just gain a deeper understanding for, for what's going on. Now with the morning line, you're, you're trying to predict how the public's going to bet, right? So you, the, the, you separate yourself a little bit as a handicapper because you might find in a place like Sam Houston, obviously Steve Asmussen wins it in a, a really high percentage. And so you sort of have that Asmussen adjustment as I keep reminding myself where you might move the prices down on some of his horses, a tick or two, um, because you know that they're going to receive a tremendous amount of support at the window. So that's an adjustment that you make with some of the, the bigger name trainers and, and the more successful ones. And, um, and you have to take that into consideration really right from the start. Yeah, and you know, a place like Sam Houston, which is a smaller track, but I, I, we got to admit, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about them before we get into the races too. They've um, really, really done some awesome work this year, in particular with the the HD product and the, the you know the the money that came through in Texas. And what what I love about what Sam Houston did is they put it they put the money right back into the things that us the horse players would like. They improve the product, the purses go up. Which means they're going to get better horses that come in, and we're able to see things a little bit better. And they they continued. They didn't they didn't get a bunch of purses and say, okay, now we're going to raise our takeout. You know, they they right. kept that that stand that with with Sam Houston. Their selling point is, hey, we have this twelve percent low takeout on all these multi leg wagers. You can play doubles, pick threes, pick fours, pick fives. And if you're into the jackpot stuff, we have some of those too. And you're going to get the opportunity to get a little bit more of a bang for your buck back. Have you noticed that? At a track like that, it's a little bit harder maybe to make the morning line because you can get one horse that kind of takes a lot of money and then they just get hit really hard. 
Yeah, that that would probably be the biggest frustration. I mean, I'm harder on myself than sure. anybody probably would be. Um, and and so you do you you feel like boy that two to one shot really should have been more like three to five um, or something like that. Or what really bothers me are the you know eight or ten to one shots that go off at three or four to one. And when when it scratches or something else that contributes to that, you don't worry quite as much. But obviously, it's a, it's a big challenge in, in that respect. So. Um, I, I think it's 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 going through and, and predicting as accurately as possible how the public's going to bet. And then it's making that next round of adjustments based on some of the things that might be going on uh, with the last few days with jockeys, with trainers and um, and trying to, to capture as much of that as possible. Now, without question, and, and I joke with with some of my, the people that I'm friendly with that, that work at the racetrack, um, the, the quality of the product has improved a ton. Oh, yeah. and and, you know, for for a lot of people out there who have wondered why the purses are so much bigger this year than they've ever been before. Uh, it's because of some some a fee that was being paid tax that was being paid on grain and feed for livestock throughout Texas, which is obviously there's a tremendous amount of that was now is being diverted to a fund for the Texas Racing Commission. So it's sort of it's letting the racetracks know like, hey, you're not going to have any alternative gaming, but we're going to give you access to twenty five million dollars a year, basically in purse money. And so I think you'll see a substantial increase in the in the purse accounts at each uh, each of the three racetracks over the next few years. It's going to facilitate two to two hundred fifty thousand a day in uh, in purse money, which for a place like Sam Houston, that's colossal. The purses oh. have never been that big. It basically so. was able to create this day that we're going to talk about. This, exactly this right. This is a brand day. right, right. This is a brand new day in terms of being a, a preview card. It's it's four stakes races that were previously run. They've just been repositioned on the calendar. But now what they've been able to do is create three days, three distinct days of stakes racing that uh, that will offer good competitive cards. The first of which was the Houston Ladies Classic. Now this tomorrow Saturday night, and uh, and the uh, Texas Champions card at the end of the meet in, in late March. Yeah, and I think for some of the people out there who maybe Because for me, you know, I, I would dabble in Sam Houston a little bit here and there I covered it sometimes on TVG or like, you know, I'm watching Ladies Classic or b- different big days that were over there But not something that I was playing, you know, daily until the last couple years You know, when you start playing more, you start, like anything, you start learning You you have to always be able to, to kind of want to improve your handicapping And the more and more you look at it, it's like, man, I I, I, this product isn't bad. They have grass racing over there, and if I'm going to get a bang for my buck, more back for my for my dollar, why am I not going to play this racetrack? You know, once the quality has raised a little bit, I think this is an, a track that I you know I'm I'm promoting every day because I'm playing it myself with my own money. We had there was a pick five there today. I picked, paid forty grand. I mean, you can hit huge scores. And what's best, what's great about the low takeout is even if it chalks out, you're going to get more for the chalk. Exactly, no doubt about it. And you know what? Look, as horse players, we've got to put our money where our mouth is. And there's a lot of chatter about low takeout and how sort of disenfranchised a lot mm-hmm. of horse players are with what we're given on a regular basis in terms of takeout and transparency and signal distribution and all of those things. And the only thing you can do is is bet the tracks that are trying to help you with it. And Sam Houston is a place that for years and years has had a really low takeout rate on pick threes, pick fours, pick fives. And uh, and that's something that you that we really you know collectively it would behoove us to support a racetrack that's doing things like that because uh, it, it's it that's something that we want you know we want this done we don't need we don't need a preponderance of jackpot bets right we know we need tracks that are looking to to get takeout rates down into that low you know low teen range and and even twelve percent where Sam Houston is because as you alluded to I mean you you see tremendous bang for your buck on the multi race bets and and even in sequences where it does chalk out a little bit you get a much better Return than you would otherwise, but even at a fifteen percent takeout yeah. rate, uh, since it's it's twelve. So, 
And what what I like too is that you, and this will kind of be the last thing before we get into the specifics of the race is that you know a lot of the the tracks that'll do the low takeout pick five, which is great, we all love it. But what's so nice about Sam Houston is like you know maybe you're looking at the pick five at Aqueduct or Santa Anita and you're going ah you know and I just I really don't like this sequence today for whatever reason it's like really small fields or there's a, there's going to be a couple heavy favorites or there's like a race or two that I don't really have an opinion on. You don't feel forced to play any specific sequence. Like if you don't like the pick five that day, you could play the pick four. You could play a double. You know, like I, I got so I haven't played doubles in so long because the takeout on the doubles was so much higher than other bets that I just kind of got away from it. But it's like, hey, when you have everything multi-race wagers that's at twelve percent, I really feel like I can kind of focus in and hone in on the race or two that I like and. Man, my handicapping the last few weeks, I'm feeling like it's improving. Like you go into the day at Sam Houston, you don't feel like you're losing before you start. You don't feel like you're getting like screwed over. Like you do feel like at a lot of the racetracks before you walk in the door, it's like, ah, oh, man, I've already like, I already feel like I'm losing a chunk of my money. So I don't know. It's just for me as a better in particular, I, I feel just a lot better knowing that I can kind of pick and choose my spots so much nicer. You definitely feel like you're being wiser with your wagering dollar, and we don't get a whole lot of opportunities to do that. So I think, yeah, when we finally find one, it's it's sort of natural to uh, hone in as much as you can and and take that chance. Okay, Nick, let's get into the uh, the races on Saturday night. So we're going to be uh, get your past performances out, folks. We're going to look at the four stakes races for Sam Houston on Saturday, February the twenty second. We'll start with race number six here. This is the Miss Houston Turf. And I mean, just based on the morning line, this was a, a really kind of fun race to handicap. You can go in a lot of different directions. This is one of those races where, man, three or four horses may vie for favoritism in here. Probably, you know, start with a horse like the two. She's our fastest, who's coming in off of a couple good open races on the dirt over at Delta. We'll see if, if she's able to kind of transfer the form back to the grass. Then you have a couple horses like the six Texas Bell, who. And the seven, she's pretty lucky, who have just been facing a little bit better last time out. The 12 would have a big a big shot. I might like her a little bit more if she wasn't parked so far out wide. So who do you kind of start with, and who are some of the ones that you're going to be keying in on in this race? Yeah, I, I think that, uh, that one of the one of the things that you said that's really key in this is the respective post draws of She's Our Fastest and Cor Luna. Um, she's Our Fastest was a, a six to five favorite in the Fiesta Mile, which is for the same division uh, over at Ratama. And that race took place in September. The pace was pretty moderate and, uh, and Discreet Smile was able to go wire to wire. And She's Our Fastest came up short, but uh, but both she and, and Cor Luna ran winning races. And, and I think Cor Luna maybe a little bit more so just because she came, tried to come from a little bit farther off of it. I felt like that was a race that was really run at a, a rather deliberate early clip and certainly worked in the favor of discrete smile now this race looks like it's going to have a pretty strong pace there are a number of horses that want to be interested early and uh, and if that materializes and i think things undoubtedly could set up for a little bit of a late runner i felt like of the horses coming out of open company you probably wanted to side with texas bell slightly over she's pretty lucky she's pretty lucky has some excellent running lines the problem is they're just starting to slip farther and farther down her past yep. performances and and the jersey lily was a, a pretty awful performance all things considered she was 16 to one that day, whereas Texas Bell was 92 to one. And uh, and Texas Bell, I thought, ran about what you would expect. She tracked the pace and, and weakened a little bit late. But there's no question that she's going to benefit from getting back to uh, to state bred competition. She won the, the San Jacinto at Sam Houston last year as a three to five favorite. So clearly this and she has Deshaun Parker riding, which I've noticed, of course, in making the morning line is something that a lot of people a key in on. They like to see mm-hmm. the uh, the hot riding jockey. So, I mean, if I was making a pick, I, 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 I'm going to bet Cor Luna in this race. I'm going to take 
take the chance of her working out a trip from the outside, hoping that that she can get over. Um, it's it's the the mile with the relatively decent run to the first turn. These races themselves often uh, lead to fast paces because of that long straightaway. And if this thing heats up, then I think you want somebody coming from off of it. And for me, Corluna will probably offer the most value. Yeah, I, I think. We, we've kind of sniffed out the, the major contenders in here I, I think if we're going to be able to get like over 5-1 to one, I would maybe give Sheaves pretty lucky one more shot with the blinks I, I'm with you though, like this this is probably getting to the point where it's like It's put up or shut up time, it's like now or never time Because on her best day, like if she shows up with an A game That probably beats this group handily But as you mentioned, it's just starting to get back to where, you know these races where she's running against better But she should be running a little bit better I, I would still like to see her show a little bit more In some of these spots And she hasn't I'm okay with her at 5-1 to one or over I don't really want to take less than that But I, I do like um, the, the 12 in here a bit And I think if we can get around that price like Those are the two horses that I might key in on As you mentioned in this big field I'm, I'm okay with maybe siding against She's our fastest Or maybe using her more in underneath spots And then, and then Texas Bell Really hard to kind of Make too strong of a case against because she's another one who's coming out of some really good races. And you mentioned the the hot riding Parker in there. Any of any bombs or any anything else in here you want to mention? No, I think that just about sums it up. I, I mean, I, I think yeah. I think if you wanted to take an off the pace horse, maybe as as one that could fill in at a bit of a price, that's probably the type that I would look at. I mean, I could see maybe maybe like a My Royal Rocket being able to fill in for third mm-hmm. or something like that with the expectation of pace. Um, Herb's Love is is going to be moving late and and is probably not going to be a huge price, but was a pretty astute claim to back and uh, came back and won a one one other than obviously has a much bigger purse now than it used to. So claiming for seventeen five and running right back is actually. Actually, something that uh, that people are more inclined to do. Let's move on to race number seven. It is the three-year-old Philly Stakes race. They're going to go, go six furlongs. This is the two Altizano, two Altizano. I said that right, right? Yeah, there we go. Uh, and uh, the the way this race shapes up is funny. It, it's it's a short field. It's just a field of six. But when you're going through each one of them, you you can. You know, you can kind of make a case for for you know at least all five, and and you know, Sue's Easter Girl. At least she has some speed in here. So the way the race shapes up is going to be interesting to me because th- that's maybe where I think you can you can find a price in here. Still a tune. I mean, how bizarre it w- was it that you have an Asmussen horse at fourteen to one win pretty easily like that over at Delta? It was like a like a head scratcher that horse went off at that kind of a price, and and she did it pretty impressively. And then you have Brightest who was able to kind of repel. Tell me you love me. Um, it's my money has some speed in here. I thought this was um, you know a, a group with some quality three year old fillies in here. Where do you start? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think uh, there's no question that while contention runs deep, even despite the size of the field, there's there should be a pretty decent early pace, and that feels yep. like it, it's going to work to the favor of, of David Cabrera on the Stilatune, who was able to rate just off the pace and get the job done last time, as you mentioned, at 14-1, to 1, um, despite being a, a Steve Asmussen trainee that had run two respectable races, I guess, as a yeah. two-year-old, and and this is kind of a reminder, and, and I think it's, it's probably a, a handicapping angle I don't really put enough stock into it at all but um horses that are advancing from two to three off a little bit of a layoff often improve naturally just with the the time for maturity yep. and clearly that happened with still a tune now did it account for the entire 34 point of yeah, increase? i'm not sure about that but 
um, no doubt that there was being engaged in, in being relatively close to the pace that day probably uh, I probably made Stilatoon elevate his her game a little bit more in and of itself. It seems like she's come back very strongly. A couple of bullet workouts for a barn that generally doesn't ask their horses to do very much in the morning. So, I mean, it feels like this horse ha- kind of has him over a barrel. A brightest looks like the the clearest alternative um last time of course finding a, a finding her friends you could say in in facing texas breads after getting uh, embroiled in a really strong pace in her debut at remington on a day where the card was the uh, track was extremely slow uh, she was mixed up in a hot pace and she took a lot of money that day being six to one against open company um so i would imagine brightest is a horse that probably will be set up outside of some of the other speed and in a lot of cases you'll you'll get a horse that's that uh, so-called outside speed and and they end up rating perfectly. So I think she's probably the the one that you would want to use in a multi-race play along with Stilatune. But, I mean, it feels to me as if Stilatune uh, ends up a pretty likely winner. Yeah, I, I'm not going to try to beat Stilatune. I will, um, depending on the price we get and in some of the late exotics, I, I will throw in the six just for the reason of, of how this race could unfold. Because if, you know, I, I could see scenarios where the two, the four, the five are kind of battling, and then maybe Silatune gets caught up a little bit too close early on, coming out of the five for a long race, maybe a little too keen. And then Tell Me You Love Me might be able to sit a trip. I actually like the race against Brightest where she she kind of is able to, to loom up. She breaks well. Um, she takes the, or the lead at the top of the lane, and then she's repelled by Brightest who kind of battles back. But if she has a little more speed to run at, if there's a little bit more of a target in here, if they go quick early, I think she might be able to at least, you know, you when you make, you know, spice things up, you can make some excuses for the early races in her career where she had some trouble the first couple times. Um, and then the June race, she's sent to the bench for a few months. The August race, she's then sent to the bench again till the, the start of the year. I'm thinking if you just key off her 20, uh, off her 2020 races, that she's got a little bit of a shot to kind of hook up at least with still a tune. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you're talking about a horse that was only beaten in neck by one of the major players and, and you know, didn't really disgrace herself last time in coming back from that. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I think if you're using the context of who can win should the, the two favorites stub their toes, then, yeah, I think she's she's one that you would certainly uh, give pretty decent consideration. Let's move to race number eight, which is the Houston turf. And I believe we found out that, unfortunately, one of the uh, the better Texas breads, really of all time, Mr. Moneybags is going to have to scratch out of this one. Just a, a minor uh, setback, it seems, right? But but we're gonna, not going to have Mr. Moneybags in here? Uh, you know what? If you're telling me that's the case, you're probably right. I had not okay, noticed, yeah, I, but I've not, I've not been on social media as much today. So, yeah, that's 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 unfortunate, of course. Yeah, because Mr. Moneybags was awesome last year. Was uh, just really starting to to be a horse who was going to be able to like compete legitimately. I think what they they thought with Open Company as they moved forward. So I think if you you know if you take him out of this race, and, and he, he's obviously the one that would be the obvious horse to beat, the overwhelming one, the one you you have to beat. But if you take him out of here, I don't think there's a whole ton of pace. And and for me, the two would be upgraded quite a bit in here, making his second start off the bench. So in this Houston turf, um, now if this race is taken off the grass, direct dial is obviously going to be a horse you have to use who's entered for the main track only. What are some of your thoughts about this Houston turf? Yeah, I think you're definitely right about the pace scenario with uh, with Mr. Moneybags coming out. It does not look like it's going to be particularly quick. And, and really the only other horse with a whole 
with any any appreciable amount of speed uh, outside of uh, of Sunlit Song would probably be redatory. So um, this this would be a very fortuitous scratch for for the Sunlit Song camp, no doubt about it. This is a horse that's been. Uh, been very solid over the Houston turf in the past was second in this race last year uh, when this race was run on the Houston ladies classic undercard and has come close to breaking through in a, in Texas bread stakes in the past. So, you know, I think drawn inside, you're certainly going to see him forwardly placed probably on a, on a relatively lonely lead. And he's going to end up meeting up with a couple of his old friends in, in Bonjour baby and, uh, and redatory. They've, they've thrown it down quite a few times. Um, redatory is both, both redatory and sunlit song actually come from barns that have done very well in texas over the years and are just really struggling at this one um in large part because obviously the competition's much stiffer than it's been in the past but uh also because mindy willis has just had no racing luck at all she got 13 yeah. second and third place finishes uh from 46 starters with just a couple of wins so things are going to start to break her way i think over the second half of this meet and sunlit song uh, just might end up being the horse that that starts all of that uh, you mentioned mr moneybags of course being one of the better texas breads of all time and he definitely is and, and he was just electric last time on the uh on the ladies classic undercard and i actually make the buyer figures for sam houston too and 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 ended up noticing at the end of the day that it looked like he was going to be somewhere in the vicinity of of 95 to 98 and as i made the figures realized that it was actually more like 100 and and it was it was a very very strong effort so hopefully he'll get right and we can see him back doing what he does best which i think of course is sprinting on the dirt um and and he would look he would have been an interesting horse in here for a lot of reasons he's a really good horse he's a really cool horse um he but he's also one that was going to take a lot of money yeah Yes. So if you're of the opinion that he's probably not going to be a turf horse, then you were looking forward to betting against him. So alas, we won't get that try this time around. And and I think uh, I can certainly see myself now with the expected pace scenario ending up on a horse like Sunlit Song. Yeah, I think uh, the quote here, this was in an article from uh, Mary Rampolini yesterday. He had a little setback last week getting ready for this. Uh, the trainer said he's going to be having a... A little time off, he was just doing so good, it's frustrating, but it's horse racing, so that's unfortunate. It doesn't seem like it's anything too too huge for Mr. Moneybags, who should be back soon, but he won't be in here. And yeah, so that'll that'll definitely change the entire complexion of like the odds and, and the morning line in this race with, with him out of there. Uh, the Sunlit Song and Bonjour Baby, you mentioned they'll probably um, you know battle for, for favoritism in here. And I just don't know who else will go with Sunlit Song early. This could be a, a really good spot for Willis to get back into the uh, the winner's circle after that unlucky start that you mentioned. So no Mr. Moneybags, but still a big field, still some quality, and uh, we'll see if Sunlit Song can get out front and slow things down. Let's get to race number nine. This is the Jim's Orbit for three-year-olds. They're going to go six furlongs in here. And just a field of seven, but the morning line favorite, well... The two horses I guess you have to start with are both the Asmussen horses. We have two Asmussen horses in here and two Calhoun horses in here. The Asmussens are more proven, and they've actually defeated Open Company in their recent starts, which is always a big, big plus when you jump back into state-bred competition like this. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, a a lot of these races pretty frequently end up being Asmussen versus Calhoun showdowns, and uh, this certainly seems like it. Um, I, I think that what you're what you're running into here, of course, is how you want to handle the open company form of a horse like Good Judgment versus the Texas bred form of of a horse, or and and really and, and the open company form of Bubba Bling against the Texas bred form of a horse like Gold Pilot. And I just feel like both of the Asmussen trainees are so much more advanced in terms of where they are now um, relative to to uh, a horse like Gold Pilot that you pretty much end up favoring those two. And look, I mean, at this stage of the game with these horses, you want to upgrade any horse that's been successful rating off the pace. 
And uh, these horses are still relatively young, relatively lightly raced, and good judgments win last time at Oaklawn based on any measurable speed figure. And, and I think even the the eye test, if you want to delve into that realm, uh, would certainly make him very tough to beat. So he was three to five in, in the early part of his two-year-old season in, in a state-bred stake race up at Lone Star and ended up coming up a little bit short, but uh, certainly came back off the layoff in, in very strong form. And I would imagine having dangled him for 40000 Steve Asmussen was hoping that, that he would get to keep him and that he would run the way he did. So he's probably very relieved um, as he figures to be a, a pretty strong favorite in a race now suddenly for $75,000. Yeah, he he's it, it does seem like um, just from like a pace standpoint, just from like a tactical standpoint, that both the the Calhoun and the Asmussen horses, they, they seem like they might complement each other pretty well, though, because you may get, you know, one of them to show speed and the other one to sit a little bit. To me, when I'm looking at this race, I think just one of the keys to the race is is a horse like Cafe Gold, and then down on the inside you have Wonders of His Love. But can Cafe Gold also be a part of that early pace? Because now if you're going to get Wonders of His Love, who has inside speed, and from the rail, you know, they're going to have to go. If Cafe Gold is also going to be going, and, and then Good Judgment is going to be forwardly placed, that is where we could maybe get Gold Pilot home. But I, I agree with you, just from a quality standpoint, like he, he he's going to really need to trip out a little bit in here he, he ran really well to win And he's run you know pretty well in all three of his starts He hasn't really run poorly But he just he doesn't have nearly as much of the tactical speed As it seems as the others And so I'm just worried Is he going to have like the positional speed to even keep up He might get outrun a little bit in here yeah, and I think that was his problem going back to his his uh, lone stakes try as yes. a two year old, and and you know he kind of fishtailed around there in the mud last time, didn't really look comfortable, and then sort of kicked it in late. And ended up diving to the inside um, to win the race. And, and it came back a fast race. It came back a much faster race than I expected. So I think he's, he's far from an outsider and, and should be a clear third choice or so. I would even, wouldn't be surprised to see him vie for a maybe second choice. And, and look, if they hook up early, I think he's definitely the prime beneficiary, no doubt about it. And there's no doubt coming off the layoff as well that he certainly took a step forward. And another step forward, I think, would make him a win candidate. Yeah, and where he's drawn to in this field, like he he should just be able to take back, save ground, and and angle around. I don't think he's going to have to get like shuffled from the inside or anything. He should be able to kind of dictate a trip with the draw, and then just kind of hope that the the speed all comes back to him. So, I mean, if you're if you're playing this race and you're and you're looking for the you know a price to in, the price to include or the horse that could spice up your exotics, I, to me, I guess it's Gold Pilot. Um, after the three that we mentioned, could you could you build a case for anyone else in here? I think it's pretty tough. I think yeah, I, I think either. you're pretty much looking. And you mentioned wonders of his love. I think some that might believe that it could be a situation where he gets loose on the front end would be inclined to try that. But I don't really see much beyond it. No, and and just because the the two Asmussen horses have so much like just kind of natural positional tracking speed, I don't even think that he could get too far away from them. They'll probably be pretty pretty darn close. So um, yeah, the the Jim's orbit concludes the four stakes races on Sam Houston Saturday night. And Nick, I, I really appreciate you coming on and joining me. It was a fun conversation. Uh, talk a little bit about racing and then get into some of the specifics here. So why don't you let the folks out there know where can we uh, find you on social media if we want to follow you? Yeah, please. Uh, N-T-A-M-M-1215 on Twitter. And uh, you'll see some musings here and there. I primarily discuss outside of Sam Houston, New York racing. It was New York racing that I uh, publicly handicapped for many, many years. And um, in addition to hearing me here, I generally go on with Steve Bick every Friday morning at uh, 9 a.m. Central Time. 
to uh, talk about big weekend races and as obviously as we get closer to the summer focus on uh, on races in new york and uh, but feel free to say a few kind words or maybe some that aren't as kind i can certainly handle them i'm, I'm a horse player i got thick skin Oh yeah, so direct all your uh, your your morning line gripe right right there uh, on social media to to Nick. But you know what I gotta say for someone I, I've been paying attention. Um, and, and there are some days like last week it seemed like there was like a weird day where some of these random horses were just getting hit hard that I was like scratching my head like man this money is coming in on, on some weird ones. But for the most part, man, I think it's a, it's one of those jobs that it's. You, no one's ever going to call you up and say, hey, Nick, that was a great job on the morning line, but you're going to get crap when, when the morning line is off. So, you know what, when, when people aren't saying anything, that's kind of when you're doing a good job. Hey, exactly. You feel like a grocery store manager, right? Nobody walks up to the grocery <laughs> store manager and says, boy, you guys did a great job today. They walk up and <laughs> complain about their favorite item not being available or things not being in the right place. So, exactly. No news is good news in that respect. Nick, thank you so much. Uh, this was a lot of fun, and I, I, I'd love to have you back again. We'll have to do this again sometime. No question about it. I would look forward to it. Thank you very much. That was uh, Nick Tamaro, and we'll be right back here in a moment on That's What G Said. One of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast is Cindy Carava, full-service realtor, and I am here over in Glendora at Coldwell Banker with Cindy Carava. Cindy, how was 2019 for you? Tell us uh, a little bit about what, uh, what kind of stuff you were working on. Hi, Gino. Thanks for having me. Uh, 2019 was just really great. Uh, I had a great year uh, selling homes all the way from Altadena, Arcadia, Monrovia, out to Upland and Ontario just recently. Um, the market has, has been uh, really good. Um, we're looking forward to 2020 with an increase in home prices about 5.8% this year, opposed to last year where it was a little softer. We saw uh, more like homes averaging about 3.5% in increase in value. Um, it's also looking great for buyers. Uh, the interest rates right now are gonna be staying under 4%. So if you've been on the fence about thinking about buying a home, Home, now is the time to do so with interest rates still staying low. And you offer more services than just the buying, selling, and leasing homes. Tell us about some of the other services that you offer and what a full service realtor really is. So you're right, Gino, besides me being uh, a full service realtor of uh, finding properties for my clients to buy or selling their homes or finding rentals for them, um, I also have a plethora of resources like uh, handyman, contractors, electricians, plumbers. Uh, I even, if like I said, if you're thinking about getting a home loan, I actually work with two great lenders that I can recommend to anybody. And you're all over the internet, social media, websites. Let us know some of the places where we can find you. I know I've seen some reviews on Yelp and on Zillow. They, everyone always has positive things to say. Everybody hears me raving about you all the time. But where can uh, everyone else find out information about you or contact? Thank you, Gino. Yeah, I am on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, and uh, you can contact me on my website, which is www.cindycarava.com or my email, which is cindyc.realtor at gmail.com, or feel free to call or text me on my cell phone, which is 626-394-6400. Cindy is awesome. She's one of the kindest and most genuine people I've ever met. I promise you, you will enjoy every minute you interact with her. So thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, appreciate all of your support from That's What She Said podcast. Thank you, Gino. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you to Nick for talking some Saturday racing there at Sam Houston. Um, as we finish up 
the Sam Houston discussion for Saturday. I want to let you know about one of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast. Sarah Candle Company, C-E-R-A, candles.com is the website. And their goal is to create a candle 100% natural, clean burning, and of the highest quality that everyone can enjoy. If you use the promo code G-I-N-O, it'll get you 10% off of your entire purchase. A couple reasons why Sarah Candles are the best. All natural soy wax, free from toxins found in, in paraffin wax, 100% lead-free cotton wicks, made in micro batches, hand-poured to ensure the highest quality, 100% locally sourced, handcrafted in the USA. Tons of different flavors, different scents for you. Make sure to give them a look. Best ingredients, quality packaging, affordable pricing, longer burning. They even have instructions on how to... Uh, Keep your candle burning best and ensure the the perfect quality burn. Make sure to use that promo code G-I-N-O. Get you 10% off your purchase. Saturday. Let's recap the Saturday card. We're going to roll through it real quick. We'll recap some of my selections. So get your past performances out for Saturday. I won't spend a a whole ton of time. Just going to roll right through in... We will begin the the first race. I'm not going to make any plays because I, I just felt like it's pretty chalky. So the seven to me looks like the one to beat in here. I won't be making any sort of uh, of plays on race number one, but we will dive in in race number two in the early pick four starts. And in this second race, we are going to begin with the number five, Fearless Alex, who. He broke well, but he was one of, of like six horses that all was trying to sit up close, and he was in tight. He had to take back out of traffic. He couldn't re-rally. If he repeats the the that two-back race on January the 18th, that's going to put him right there. The number five, Fearless Alex, will be including in all of the exotics. The number seven, Grand Bling, that's the one to beat on the drop-in class. Drawn well with the speed, but can press just off. And the number three, don't blame Dexter, who is the speed, going third off the bench, speed on the cutback, and the drop-in here. We'll make the five the top selection, 5-7-3 in race number two there. Moving on to race number three, and we will begin this one with the eight, and that is Tara's Angel. She has some speed in a race without much, and we're talking about fresh speed. She hasn't raced in a couple months. She has the outside draw. I think it's send or sit a really nice trip from the outside up close in a paceless race. So we'll use the eight, Tara's Angel, on top of the number three, Lexington Grace, who comes in from fairgrounds and should be set up really, really well for a big one in here. Um, The number six will make the third selection, Curlin's Journey, who is a great at stakes place just a few starts back and is dropping out of tougher. She will be... um, She'll be hard to keep out of the mix in here. And, and in the four, Quinn Murphy, who should be launching a, a late bid. Eight, three, six, four in race number three from Sam Houston. Let's go to race number four. This one, to me, looked like a race where uh, I would have to uh, at least use a, a couple because I, I could make cases you know, for the three, Clayman's Dream, who got some action in the debut and at least showed some speed, was able to clear the field. You look at the 7, who Airedale comes out of that very same race on uh, January the 29th, and Airedale pressed, 
Clayman's dream from the two path moved in between up the challenge put away the early speed rivals but couldn't hold off a, a late challenge and was a clear cut second that day things got tight late on the inside and Airedale had to take up a little bit any improvement at all we're going to put him right in the winner's circle the four horse swashbuckler on the drop in class he had a brutal start and got squeezed back then shot up the inside and stayed inside. Ended up splitting the field. It was better than it looks on paper. Um, you know, the six-horse punch-out, who is going to take a ton of money in here just off the connections alone. And then you have the turn back after a good start. Was in the two-path, was pressing just off, was right up. Stuck his nose in front before the top of the lane. Three wide in between. Um, and the winner blew right by uh, on the turn back, he's going to be tough. And, you know, the five, Alpine Empire, you can make a case for this one after a good start who, you know, had a slight bobble and then was kind of th- in the three path into the turn and he had nowhere to go when he wanted to start running. He kind of had some sneaky trouble in there. I have three, seven, four, six, five, the order in race number four. That's kind of how we're going to we're gonna play things. Make sure to use the three who... He breaks on top in here. I wouldn't be shocked to see him get brave and go a long way. So three, seven, four, six, five in that fourth race. Race number five, maiden specials, five and a half furlongs the distance. The first time starter, the number three, Dr. Beats. The dam of this one won the debut sprinting at Churchill. She was stakes placed. She has had six foals to race, five of them winners, three multiple winners. And this bar in the last couple years with first-time starters, seven for 38. Really good when you expand the sa- uh, the sample size. Diodoro and Hamilton have been a lethal team. We're going to put the, the three, Dr. Beats, on top of the number six, Pops Biscuit, who, in my opinion, you know, coming out of the same race, I thought Pops Biscuit was better than Empire of Gold. Pops Biscuit and Empire of Gold had near identical trips. Empire of Gold, they were both inside, close up, behind horses, but it just felt like Pops Biscuit took the worst of it, got shuffled back, had to lose momentum and angle around, whereas Empire of Gold had more of a kind of a smoother trip there. But I think the two of them, they're they're tough to separate. I just felt like Pops Biscuit had a little more trouble and I would I would lean that way. But we will use uh it's tough to to use one and, and not the other, at least in, in most of the exotics and the underneath spots, because this is a race with a ton of first time starters that you're just projecting. And the nine can't have enough, got squeezed back at the start with six off. Did did show some run late and wouldn't be a, a huge shock in here. So nothing nothing too crazy with the the three on top, but behind that are all logical horses with, you know, the six, Pops Biscuit, uh, the nine, he can't have enough, the 12, Empire of Gold. Let's go three, six, 12, nine in race number five. Race number six here. This is the stakes race we talked about with Nick Tamaro a little bit. I'm going to go with the, the seven. She's pretty lucky who was bumped around. Um, I'm, I'm going back to that May 10th race at Churchill, and that's the one that just jumps off the page to me. And then you, you, you add the blinkers. I thought she had a little more trouble than it looks like on paper last time out, where she kind of settled inside. She was four off, but she was in the third flight with 
with really nowhere to go. She got a lot more action in that very same race than Texas Bell did. Let's put the seven on top of the six, Texas Bell. Um, if you want to go a little deeper, possibly the twelve. There, so seven and six I will use in all of the exotics, and this is the kickoff of the late pick five. The seventh race, we will go to the six. Tell me you love me. The three, still a tune, and the two, it's my money. Those will be the three. You heard us breaking down this race with Nick. Just a, a bit earlier Okay with taking a shot against the five brightest I think uh, the three gets the trip the, uh, the six really I think gets the trip And then if there's anyone that's the speed of the speed Maybe it's the two It's my money Six, three, two in the seventh In race number eight now With the the big scratch in here Of the number eleven I just don't see any other speed I think the two sunlit song is going to be long gone Or if somebody else wants to go get Go for the lead I think he has the opportunity to sit really really close Because speed is his game And if anybody else tries to show a little It might take them out of of their uh, Best chance to win I just can't see who goes with him Early in the year He battled for the lead from the inside And he really tried hard all the way He just missed second And that was his first start uh, Since June When we last saw him He has a big big chance to take a step forward in here and then the number three, a Bonjour Baby, who was late on the scene last time out. That was his first start since September. He's another one who raced under their belt. You see with a lot of these horses who have had some time off and they made their first start recently, they should be even better the second time out. So two and three in all exotics in race number eight. And we move to the ninth race. We'll start with the six horse in here, Gold Pilot. Talked about, you know, the way this race shapes up, and it looks like there could be a lot of speed signed on to the inside. We'll give the six the top billing. Over the three, Bubba Bling. I don't really have any knocks on the five, Good Judgment. If you want to use that one, you know, go ahead. But I'm okay with three six in here with six three. So we'll we'll, uh, we'll use those two, the number six. Gold Pilot over the three, Bubba Bling, expecting them to both sit really nice trips just off the speed of the one, Wonders of His Love, the two, Cafe Gold, and the five, Good Judgment. 6-3 in the ninth. And then a tough race to close things out in race number 10 here. We'll start with the nine, Joy to the World, who takes the blinkers off, keying off that debut at the fairgrounds. Uh, back in March of, of 2019 And hadn't raced between May January Came back Got that effort out of the way And will be a lot tighter This time The 7 fiance is the one to beat The the, the grass races are just very lo- logical I mean The 8 Scattered mist You're going to get a little speed from this one uh, The 14 is another one that I would use Cosette's Heat Who's trying the turf for the first time This is a horse who I was making a case for In in her last start But the race got taken off the grass If they're stepping foot on the turf Give the 14 a long shot looking here To improve on the green With that breeding And the 2, Ms. Anna Who I'm just looking at that 2 back October race You know, that was against Maiden Claimers Look at some of the Maiden Specials at Canterbury Those races would would be pretty competitive in here, especially at least underneath. So nine, seven, eight, fourteen, 
two in race number 10. Let's go through some of the plays for this Saturday. Big stakes card on Saturday for Texas Preview Day. In race number two, I'm going to get uh, early pick four sequence. I'm going to 5 7 with 3 4 6 8. With 3 4 5 6 7. With 3 6 12. We'll play another pick four. 3 5 7 with 3 6 8. With 3 4 7. With 3 6. That's in race number two. Let's go to race number six. We'll start in early, uh, late pick five. Single to seven. With 2 3 6. With 2 3. With 3 6. With 2 7. 8, 9, and 14. And then uh, one more late pick five where we go 6 7. With 2 3 6. With 2 3. With 3 6. With 7. 8, 9. Horses to include throughout the card. Race number 2, the 5, Fearless Alex. Race number 3, the number 8, Tara's Angel. Race number 6, the number 7, She's Pretty Lucky. Race number 7, the number 6, Tell Me You Love Me. Race 8, the number 2, Sunlit Song. And race 9, the number 6, Gold Pilot. That is Sam Houston for Saturday, February the 22nd. Up next, let's talk a little a little boxing. We have a huge fight coming up this weekend. It's going to be one of the biggest heavyweight fights in, you know, probably 20 years or so. And I'm really excited for Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury 2. Let's set, let's set the scene a little bit. Uh, these two fought back in 2018. Unbelievable bout where they uh, they drew this was Tyson Fury who had made his return earlier in the year what makes these two really compelling is their backstories you look at Deontay Wilder who was a, a basketball player who you know had a, had a kid at a young age and who went into to try to earn a little bit of money and walked into a, a boxing gym and you know the rest was history this man and his unbelievable athleticism he Packs a punch, uh, unlike many that that we've ever seen, and, and then you have, you know, Tyson Fury, who's the showman, who is pomp and circumstance, and he's flashy, and he's gonna try to talk trash, and he's gonna try to get in your head, and he's more of the boxer who wants to to kind of you know pick you apart, and he wants to you know make you make a mistake, and so you have this fight with these contrasting styles. And it made for such a great fight the first time through where Wilder was able to knock down Fury a couple times. But Fury went the distance and many people actually thought Fury won a fight where uh, they both had a draw. And that's the only blemish on either of their records. The two of them, incredible. Wilder 42-0-1, Fury 29-0-1. Who wins the mental game with these two? Where... Deontay Wilder even mentioned that the first time he fought Fury, he thought it was a um, he was you know maybe not 100% ready for that. He said it was it was a huge moment for him, might have been a little too big. And, and then you have you know Fury. He had the big win over Klitschko, and then the drugs and the suicidal depression and uh, anti-doping and alcoholism. He gained 100 pounds and he lost the weight back. He was inactive for a couple years. 
just really, really compelling when you look at the backstories of these two boxers and how they got to this point. And reading through Brian Campbell um, from CBS's preview, a couple other notes, uh, things that we, we want to hit on. Fury makes a late change to his trainer and to his philosophy. He explained the, the move is him needing to evolve into more of a power puncher in order to execute his plan of knocking Wilder out. So the Gypsy King, who was excellent in the December 18, making a change this drastic just two months out from the most dangerous fight of his career has left more questions than answers. But from Fury's, you know, on his camp, he is kind of thinking, okay, I already know the boxing end of it. I'm a good fighter, but maybe he needs a little more in the motivation. Maybe he needs a little more in that killer instinct. He does have his 20 knockouts, but he's not necessarily known with the same uh, punching power as someone like Wilder, who that's what makes, you know, any Wilder fight so interesting and so so must-see is that he can knock you out at any moment, any time. He could be, you know, struggling for the first five rounds, and then boom, one second, you're gone. Good night. Brian uh, also talks about Wilder's focus in this fight. Said uh, he has been no uh, no time for distractions and Fury also noticeably tamer. Um, they they got into it a little bit on Wednesday in uh, in the press conference and and now what they've actually said is that because of the pushing and shoving they're banning them from the face to face at the weigh in on Friday, which is crazy. They don't want anything to happen and anyone to get hurt in such a big fight, but. They, it doesn't look like they're going to get that that normal weigh-in face-to-face shot. We'll see what ends up happening. I mean, they might be just saying that and try to draw more looks on, on Friday when the, when the weigh-in comes in. And there have been questions about Fury's motivation. You know, he seems like he's got a lot of things going on. He was in the WWE. He wrestled the match in Saudi Arabia. There's rumors about you know WrestleMania. He... His big his big victory, his huge performance was a 2015 victory over Klitschko. Uh, and then the draw with Wilder, that was another uh, a big fight. And he was you know the, the underdog in both of those spots. And now you look around, and this fight, when you're just looking at the odds, um, I think you can get like plus 100 on Fury and like minus 120 on Wilder. And then obviously you can you can play you know when they're gonna get knocked out or or what the decision specifically is. But this is gonna be one of one time where he's not you know a dog he is he going to be able to use that kind of motivation is he going to be able to to find inspiration when you know people are are now expecting more out of you lots of really fun stories when you do the research for this fight and you look into these two guys and they you know what they seem to like each other Quite a bit And and this is a big fight because we have Fox and ESPN They're coming together to co-promote this And if this works well We could start to see You know, big dream fights If this doesn't work well If something goes wrong eh, Then maybe we don't get the kind of cooperation needed But I, this, this would be huge for boxing For things to go really well in here Because then, you know, remember Anthony Joshua Who regained his uh, world titles Last year Against Andy Ruiz Jr. in their rematch He he should be waiting in the wings For For the winner of this fight 
So this this is going to be a blast, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the this fight and a little more about the odds and and how our next guest Eric is going to play this fight this weekend. We bring in Gambler. From social media, Eric, and he's going to talk a little XFL, and he's going to talk a little Wilder Fury 2 with us. So kick back and enjoy our final interview on this episode of That's What She Said. Doing excellent. Thanks for uh, for joining us. So it's, you know, football season, NFL season has just ended. So, you know, it's kind of... Um, there's a lot of sports going on, but it's right now it's a little quiet before March Madness kicks up in a few weeks, and then the NBA playoffs will start up. NBA and NHL playoffs will will start up, and then it'll kind of get to the dog days of summer. But before we get into any specifics, let's get some background on you. Who the hell are you? Introduce uh, introduce us to uh, to you. Let us know how can you have some of your background. Where are you from? How'd you get into uh, to gambling? Well, I grew up in the hotbed of Mount Pleasant, Michigan. Um, <laughs> small town it's where central michigan university is and i've been 6'2 since i was 13 years old and because of that i was able to get a fake id when i was younger and sneak into a tribal <laughs> sneak into the tribal casino there nice nice and uh kind of through that and then um once i got 16 17 talking to my old man about it and it just kind of you know took off from there and then met some people through on Twitter that taught me some valuable lessons and just trying to grow on my craft from there. So what are some of your, your, the, the sports you play the most? Like, what do you feel the most confident playing? What do you, you spend the most time on? Oh, by far the NFL. NFL by far is what I feel most confident in, where I spend the most time in. I do the DFS, do the betting aspect, do that's where most of my energy goes to. And I kind of, I don't know, like with the bigger sports, like and not really the bigger sports, but the major league sports like NBA, MLB and NHL. Once it comes to all star game, I kind of just shut down just because I like to play dogs in those sports. I like to get points in NBA, play the the dogs in NHL and MLB. So after the all star break, you get into all the tanking and stuff. So I usually yeah. just shut down to the playoffs. So I kind of have my calendar is really weird how I have it structured out like right now. It's straight XFL and college basketball. And then once the playoffs start in NBA and NHL, I'll go into that along with MLB. And then pretty much the whole month of July and August is just spent to NFL research. So let's get into the the XFL. We, we had a, a league. This is the second um, coming of the XFL, but it's much different than the, the one we saw 20 years ago. And we had a league jump up in the, uh, the AAF last year that did wasn't able to, to make payments i think come like week three or four so they they folded early on Th- this league compared to all of the, the the other football that we've seen recently this feels a, a little bit better di- it feels a little bit different it feels a little more quality what, what's interesting about the nfl versus like some of the other sports is there's not really like a true minor league system in the nfl so if you could get a league to to be run well there's a I think there is a place for it. So what what have been your overall thoughts the first few weeks through the XFL? I love the rules. I love the kickoff rule because they're basically taking away away injuries from the game. Mm-hmm. And 
I love that. And I also love how there's a huge penalty if you don't kick it to the 20 yard line or you kick it out of bounds. Because if I'm the kicking team kicking it to you and I don't do one of those things, the ball is going to be at my 45, which gives you as an offense a huge, huge advantage. So it's forcing the team to put the ball in play, which I love. Um, I also love the point afters. If you score a touchdown, you can go for three from the 10, two, two from the five, or go from the one from the two-yard line. I personally feel if you don't go for the two every time, it's dumb. I've, it's you're an idiot. You're <laughs> right, an idiot. Right. You should yeah. be going for the two every single time, just because the success. The excuse me. The success rate is basically the same, and plus you're giving the offense more space to work, run the pick plays, run a fade, whatever. You're just giving the offense more space to develop. For the, yeah, for everything to develop, yeah. you know, if you need to throw a pass or something. It just gives you a little bit. You can open up the playbook a little bit more. Oh, exactly. You know, from the five exactly. versus versus so so close up, and and you're the the point that I like is this league is is football. It's different, but like we said, the XFL twenty years ago, it was you know like I'm a wrestling fan, but and we, we I know you you watch some wrestling too, and you know so I'm not yeah. I'm not knocking wrestling, but the, the league was too try, too much like trying to be WWE at that point. They were trying to like it was the the, the wrestling attitude era, which Stone Cold and The Rock were hot, and they were you know selling sex and and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what the league was trying to do. This league has been a little bit different, and I thought from the very beginning, everything that I've read and heard about the way that they were putting this league together, it seemed like Vince McMahon did a much better job of, hey, I'm going to get the really good football people, put them in place, and then I'm going to back up. And, and you know, you start with uh, with Mr. Luck, who who's in charge of everything, and then it trickles down. I mean, you look at the coaching. They're all, like, legitimate coaches that have had, like, NFL history. What I thought was really cool too, Eric, was how seriously the ESPN and Fox, you know, ABC, the coverage of these games were. They took this very seriously. They had some of their top crews calling the games, reporters. And what I like, I just love that they've they've done different things, but it's still football and it's still a pretty good quality of football. At the end of the day, the way I look at it is if you like college football, you should like XFL. Yes. I, so it's basically just a, like you said, a develop. Hopefully, it gets a developmental league that feeds into the NFL, and, and I think the product is way better than people anticipated. And you can tell because Dave Mason, the guy that runs Bet Online, he tweeted out that the gambling handle went out nine percent as opposed from week one to week two, which is awesome. His, which which is him. Um, you did say something about the coaching. My only negative thing I have to say is about the coaching so this is my thought you may disagree i'd like to hear what you think about this but um they hired like you said all these big time guys but they're all guys from like the late 90s and the early 2000s very anti-analytic yes everything is run first down get to third down and manageable i would have liked them to take now of course like when this first came out i thought it was a great idea but after two weeks i was like maybe you should have got a younger guy a quality control guy for the nfl and said hey you're the OC. You do your thing. Just we're just gonna run everything through you. You let us know what to do, when to yeah. go, and I, I, I think we'll we'll see some tweaks in that, or and, and I or I just hope that some of these teams, if this league continues to succeed, you're able to build bigger staffs. You're able to bring in other people around you. You know, you're able to build your coaching staff a little bit more, and, and then maybe you're able to just get a little bit smarter about, uh, you know, 
improving you know some some of the i complete i agree with you on that sense M- more of you know for me for, it was more of we know these names we know these people yeah. and um you know but everything that i've seen so far has been very vanilla and i yeah. think you know i think some of that has to do with the fact that what what will always be difficult in a in a league like this because hell it's really difficult in the nfl too is getting a really good offensive line and so oh, I think, yeah. you know, that's the one thing that we see that it's going to be really hard to like really run the ball or like consistently establish that. And, and, you know, if we have any critiques of the league, um, to me, that might be one of the few, because I, honestly, everything that I've seen has been pretty well received through a few weeks. I, I was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised when I tune in to watch both, uh, both the first couple weeks and with the quality. And like I said, just, when when the TV production, when they take it seriously, it feels like a bigger deal, and I think people kind of yeah, it feels like a better it. product. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I go ahead. I love the replay process and how you can hear the officials talking. Very so you transparent. Know what is happening and what is going on? You and I are both huge NFL guys, and the amount of complaining I know I did on Twitter when oh man. There was a bad call and it cost me money. Was it saved? At least now I know what these guys are thinking and exactly. what the thought process is. There's no reason not to. It's great. And and everything, you know, we're I thought we saw in week two some of the people kind of with the interviews immediately following plays or before. There were a few people who were keeping a little closer to the vest. But week one we got someone came off the field and dropped the F bomb, you know, right away after a penalty and was upset. And it it, it is I just I like the that it they're just trying different things. They're throwing different things that are not crazy, wacky, goofy, too gimmicky. You know, these are rule. Some of these rules, like the kickoff rule, like th- that's going to be in the NFL. Oh, I I guarantee, oh yeah, and it makes sense. Yeah, there's stuff it, it makes does. sense. Like it's not like because what happens is now there's like I was reading there's like ninety percent of the kickoffs are being returned now mm-hmm. because you just don't you you don't get the. The fair catch, you don't get the kick through the end zone. You get a return, but you mentioned the way they've moved it and and sh- and and spread it out a little bit. It's it's not like as you're not going to get as many injuries. It's I, I've liked everything we I've seen so far through a few weeks. So what have you noticed now on the betting end as we move to uh, to this week? What are some of the the ways that you're going to lean? Give us some of your plays. All right. So the first game that kicks off the weekend is the Houston Roughnecks against the Tampa Bay Vipers. When I first did my initial thoughts and everything i was so high on this tampa bay team and they have utterly disappointed disappointed utterly disappointed me in how they performed i mean granted last week they're without aaron murray who's their starting quarterback aaron murray was a kid from georgia i still believe he holds the sec records for yards and and passing touchdowns but he never made it in the nfl he was hurt they had the second and third string goal last week and they there was a broken blade touchdown that led to the Seattle Dragons actually winning that game. If it wasn't for that play, the Vipers would have won that game and it would be 1-1 one and one instead of 0-2, basically backs against the wall. And you and I have talked. I like teams in this scenario when they have their backs mm-hmm. against the wall. And if they lose this game, it's over for them. And there is a big signing. Um, S.G. Green is a CFL Hall of Famer. He'll, he'll be in the Hall of Fame in the CFL. He played for the Toronto Argonauts. Under Mark Tressman, he won a Grey Cup when Tressman was the coach of the Argonauts. He opted out of his contract, went into the player pool, and the Dragons, the Seattle Dragons picked him up. Immediately, the Vipers traded 
their starting outside linebacker for green. So they're already addressing, hey, we're having an issue in our passing game. We need to get somebody. This is the guy we're going off after, and he's had success in the Trustman system. So I really like that to help them with the receiving game. Vipers have actually been pretty good running the ball, and they're second in the league controlling the con, – they're second in the league with five yards per, per rush. And this is the Roughnecks' first game on the road, and they look great the first week. Their offense didn't look as good the second week. So I got a team, first, first game on the road, a team with the back against the wall, and a team that's getting a good wide receiver. I'm going to take the Vipers plus the seven and the money line and just hope it just keeps on creeping up because football is such a week-to-week league and us as betters tend to overreact to what we see. Yep. And that's kind of what I like to take advantage of. Especially with so little of a sample size. You're yes. going gonna to overreact even more because there's not much to go back on. But what the, the fact is you th- this is a good play for you, even if they get blown out, because this is a team that you're betting on yourself. That's that's what we have to do when we become betters, or when we're when you start to bet more than just for for fun or just to have a good time. You have mm-hmm. to understand. Okay, here's my opinion. I'm gonna bet bet heavy on it, and you're just gonna be wrong sometimes. You're gonna be right yeah. sometimes, but but this is a team you expect it to be a little bit better. So there's a ton of built-in value right here. Yeah, I expect Trustman when he was with the Bears. I mean. Let's face it. My opinion is, is if Cutler didn't get hurt in that NFC championship game, Tressman would have took that Cutler team to the Super Bowl. I mean, people forget Cutler got hurt in that game. He won three Grey Cups in Toronto. He's been a successful coach. And then everything, the narrative changes all because of one game like that, you know what I mean? And then they they become like disappointing or this or that and and everything shifts. Yeah. So, um, okay, cool. So uh, that's, uh, that's one this weekend. Anything else in the XFL? Oh my God! I also I also have some DFS. They have DFS for this, and you oh, know okay, me, great. I love yes. fantasy, and I kind of have three guys I like in this game. Okay, great. Um, number one, quarterback PJ Walker, who's basically been the MVP. Him or Caldell Jones have been the MVP for the first two two games of the season. It's hard not to put him in a lineup if you're doing multiple lineups, but like I said. On the road is so different, especially for the quarterback when you factor in the um I really you have to play him, but I wouldn't go guns ho on him in multiple lineups. James Butler is a running back. He's getting 10 touches per game, and he has three TDs in in, in the two games. But touchdown regression is going to come. I'm not sure if it's this game, but you always have to be careful when you're doing the DFS. Again, not to remember last week and remember that regression if someone has like a two-touchdown game, two games in a row, that's not, that's not the bar. The bar is somewhere lower than that, and they're eventually going to come down to it. I also like Patrick, the running back from the Vipers. Like I said, Vipers lead – sorry, excuse me. Vipers are second with five, five yards of rush in the NXFL. And he has the he has four carries of over ten yards, which is the most in the XFL. Good stuff, man. Nice. So we got and, some DFS. Yeah. Go. Okay. Go. Keep going. All right. And then the next game is the Renegades and the Dragons. Personally, for me, this game this is a pure stay away game for me, just because I've looked at this the weather three times because it's being played in Seattle and the weather's been different three times. So I personally I would not touch this game. Um, 
the Renegades, they won last week. It was Landry Jones, Landry Jones of the Pittsburgh Steelers days, who played for Bob Stoops, who happens to be the coach, is their quarterback. He had the first 300-yard game last week, throwing for one touchdown, but he did throw two INTs that weren't the best. Um, I'm awful with names, so if I pronounce this name wrong, I'm Brad. <laughs> it's okay. Um, it's okay. We all do. <laughs> Hal Mummy is the offensive coordinator, and he's one of the founding fathers of the air raid system. He's a little quirky. He's on the sidelines, pure old school, white towel on the, on the shoulder walking around. But he's the one coach that kind of airs it out a little bit more. But like I said, right now there's a 30% chance of game time. Um, Landry's second week in in the offense so I do expect his offense production if the weather is nice for him for the potential for him to have a good game but with the risk of the weather there's no way as of right now I'm going to bet the game um the Dragons on offense have been offered the quarterback Brandon Stevens doesn't push the ball down the field at all he only averages 5.4 yards pass per attempt and the Dragons rarely let him throw he only had 18 attempts last week um and they also the thing with the XFL that I noticed is there's no real big player contracts, so they rotate in players a lot more. The Dragons have a three-headed running system. Um, they have Kenneth Farrow, who's played 49 slaps, Trey Williams, 39 slaps, and Jack Club Gardner, 36 slaps. And Jim, Jim Zorn, the guy that used to coach college football, his offense is basically just run the ball, chew the clock, old-school football, but it's kind of playing crafts. You don't know what running back's going to get the carries because so he's even, just going to go with a hot hand. So kind of a stay away in all, in all senses, you know, you're stay not away even... in all senses. I mean, the only guy that intrigues me at all for DFS would be Lance Dunbar. You remember him from the cowboy days oh, yeah. way oh, yeah. back when, um, like I, like I, I'm probably going to repeat myself again, but we, it's a week to week fantasy embedding. Um, Cameron Artist Payne from way back when from the uh, Panthers, right? Panthers days. Yeah. He had two touchdowns last week. But I think people are going to chase that. Dunbar and him are both been top three in uh, DraftKings points per game. So I'm going to look to use Dunbar. Dunbar is on the field more and is getting more touches. So I think he's going to be overlooked and there's going to be people chasing the success of Payne had last week. But I wouldn't bet the game with anyone's money just because of the weather aspect that's coming up. So we'll stay away from there. Here, stay away. Dunbar will be in a uh, DraftKings lineup for me. Uh, and those are the two games on Saturday. Sunday, the Guardians face the Battlehawks. Before you mentioned about the uh, post, the talking, the interviewing, right, the players and everything right after the plays, I don't know if you saw it, but Matt McGool, the guy that used to quarterback at Penn State, they interviewed him, and he threw... Everybody under the bus said the yeah. offensive system game plan was bad. Everything was bad. And how I look at it, like, this is when the Guardian's value is going to be the highest because that's going to be everyone's – what's going to be in everyone's mind. And also, you know how it is. When a sports team faces adversity, this is when they tend to rally. And their def- the Guardian's defense hasn't been that bad. Offense has struggled. But they have the old school guy, Kevin Gilbride, who used to coach. He was the OC for the Giants that won two titles with Eli. He's actually their coach. And he's been successful over years. So you got to think, 
in this scenario, he's going to be able to rally the troops and put together a competent offensive game plan. Because if you can beat the Patriots and Bill Belichick and Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, you should be able to stay within 10 against the Battlehawks. And with the Battlehawks, the Battlehawks are another team. Do you know how many times they've run the ball both time, both games? At least 42 times. 42 times, man, they have run the ball in both games. That's insane to me. So with them running the ball, like, it's not going to, unless there's, like, big play after big play, staying within that 10 and also with how the rules are with the extra point and also under two minutes, the clock stops. Even if it's inbounds, the clock stops. So it's going to allow a team to sneak back in the number. So, I mean, I really like the Guardians plus the 10 in that game. The thing I'm interested to see is this is St. Louis wants football, and I want to see how many people are in the stands in this game. Yeah, the ratings I saw were good. Um, people are watching, but uh, yeah, it'll be because we we got the Rams out here as they continue to build that brand new stadium where uh, they're going to have WrestleMania next year. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, I believe uh, WrestleMania got secured, so that'll be fun for me. I'm going to get to go to a WrestleMania where I won't have to travel really and spend a whole bunch of money flying and and for hotels and uh, and, and everything like that. So, um, okay, yeah, and it's situa- another situation where it's I think a lot of times it's best in. In these small sample sizes And you and I are people who are looking for the dogs Most of the time anyways But Mm -hmm. but this is This seems like just like a ripe First few weeks to You know take the team That people are going to kind of shy away from taking Because of what just happened last week Or a situation like you mentioned You know somebody throwing the team under the bus here Um, So again you'll you'll take the dog here I'll definitely take the dog Um, There are some guys in fantasy I like um, For the Battle Hawks Their quarterback Jordan Talamua, he is the leading rusher in terms of quarterback. And anyone that played Daily Fantasy knows how much value Lamar Jack. Oh, yeah. I mean, you don't because you had him in the league room together. Oh, how yeah. Much, how much value that brings when you have a quarterback that can run the ball. So, I mean, him with running because he, he has the most rushing yards and he is compete, completing 78% of his passes. So, I like that. Also, Matt Jones is hurt. So, if he can't go... Christian Michael, who he had a sniff in the NFL too, but I'm spacing on who he played with. He's going to be the lead dog, so he's going to get a ton a of few carries. different teams. Seattle, I think uh, Washington, uh, Seattle for sure. He was there for a little while. Um, like I think everyone's played running back for Seattle. <laughs> you're, you're right, and it's funny because the Seattle XFL team very similar to the Seattle NFL team. They run, they run the hell out of the ball, and they're very predictable on how they, how and when they run the ball too. <laughs> oh my God! I mean, they, yeah, they are just. Pound, 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 pound. Um, the last game is the Defenders against the Wildcats. By far, the Defenders have looked like the best team. Um, they Cardell Jones is clicking at all cylinders. Their wide receiving core is great. The only thing they really haven't been able to figure out is the running game. Their running game hasn't looked that good, but with the way Jones is playing and their defense, they have a, they have a couple guys that will probably get some sniffs in the NFL. And... I like them, what I've seen from them a lot, but this is their first game on the road. And the Wildcats, the Wildcats had the ball, I think it was at the two or the three last week, and they fumbled, and then they lost the game because of that. I mean, if that fumble doesn't occur, then they're going to win that game. They have Josh Jackson, who's an NFL journeyman. And in this league, I'm really valuing quarterback play also sure. along with the yes. line play, yes. just because – if you see in NFL defenses, you're going to be able to, to look good. And he, he looked good 
he didn't play week one. He looked good week two, but he's still not 100% because he's still listed as limited on the injury report. But I think the more reps he gets, the better he is going to get. And with the defenders being such a good such a good team at rushing the quarterback, I think they're going to the Wildcats will run the football more because that's the best way to attack a, uh, a good pass rush. That's what the Chiefs did against the Niners in the Super Bowl and um, do a lot of quick outs, quick outs to the outside. So with that being said, there's this guy, Larry Rose, who is he's not the starting starting running back for the Wildcats. That is Elijah Hood. And to put it in perspective, Elijah Hood's kind of like the Derrick Henry of the NFL. He never catches Just, the ball, never catches it. He has not run one passing route this season. I, I mean, which is pretty remarkable. He yeah. just basically is not even Derek accidentally. Yeah. yeah. So if I'm the coach, because I mean, that's kind of my habit. I kind of, when I look at stuff, kind of form a plan. If I was a coach, I would play Rose more to give Rose more touches because if I'm a DC and I see Rose out there, I'm then I'm going to have to plan, Oh, this could be a run or I'm going to have to protect him when he goes out of the backfield. So I would, He's kind of like my sleeper that could go off this week. Larry Rose in DFS. Good stuff, man. Awesome. That is like as good of an XFL breakdown and preview for this week as you're going to find anywhere. Uh, games to play, players to include. Let, give us a, like a, a quick like 30-second recap then again of just like your plays in the XFL one more time. Um, I'm going to go the Vipers plus the points and the money line. The... Renegades Dragons is a pure stay away. Um, Guardians plus the 10. I'm going to take the Wildcats plus the 8, sprinkle on the money line, and Larry Rose is my deep sleeper in terms of uh, DFS plays. Good stuff. Now uh, we'll transition over and talk for a few minutes about a big event coming up this weekend. I used to be, you know, what was what for me, I one of the reasons why I'm such a big uh, wrestling fan and I, I like boxing a lot too As I always had the, the black box growing up Where you mm-hmm. could get all the, the cable The cable pay-per-view stuff for free You just flip oh, the little yeah. switch You get everything yep, So yep. I got to watch every bo- big boxing fight Every big wrestling show Every big event growing up And there's been such a uh, a while Where the heavyweight division And boxing in general Has just kind of lost its its luster Maybe in, in addition to kind of the rise of USC, UFC and MMA a little bit But the the heavyweight division is kind of back in boxing. Oh, yeah. uh, I, there are like you know three legitimate studs and and it's some names that we know. You know we saw the big upset last year when Joshua got upset, but then he came back, and so now we're going to get Wilder versus Fury two. These two were unbelievable when they first hooked up back at the end of 2018, and. I mean, I am really, really pumped for this fight. Overall, give us kind of your, your thoughts, and then what's the way that you're going to play this? I mean, for me, I rewatched the first fight, and I thought I thought Fury won it. I really thought that he won the fight. Um, with that being said, I think he's going to implement the same strategy of his unorthodox style of boxing to try to keep Wilder off balance, because Wilder's the better puncher. And... When I look at a fight, fight, I'm going to take the better puncher and the guy I feel is more in shape. And Fury, I don't know if you heard this, like Fury's rumored to like go to WrestleMania. Yeah, well, and he he was in 
a show in the Saudi Arabia last year where he got paid like fifteen million dollars to do a match with the Big Show, uh, to do a match with Braun Strowman, and he was in like an actual wrestling match for a few minutes. And I, I don't. How focused I like, is he? How focused what? is he though? Like, yeah, my no, no, thing is I, like this. How focused is he though? Hundred percent. And I like Fury. I like his personality. I like his panache. Like, I, I like him overall. But everything that I've been reading, kind of leading up to this. Really points me in in the wilder direction because you know first Fury changes as trainer. Well, if you yep. if you had such a good performance in your first fight against Wilder to where you and and me and many people felt like he won. You know there were people on both sides, but he got knocked down a couple times. But he actually outboxed Wilder throughout you know the majority of the fight. And now why are you changing things up kind of so close to the fight? And he's why he's, are you switching? What got you there? That's yeah, and he mentioned that he wants to maybe try to knock him out. I don't know if it's just him saying that as as talk or if that's a you know that's a real thing. And and then also some of the the stuff that I've been seeing and and reading, it seems like he's not quite been as um he just doesn't seem he's not exuding like the confidence quite as much this week. And maybe that's a who knows maybe that's a good thing for him. But it feels like from everything I'm seeing and reading that Wilder is a lot more focused. It kind of reminds me, and you mentioned UFC of when Ronda was fighting Nunes. Like you saw Nunes's body language versus Rousey's body languages, mm-hmm. and to me that I feel that's what I'm looking at. I got. Wilder, who's locked down, staying with what got him in this position in the first place, training, not doing outside stuff. And then I got Fury, who's could be doing WrestleMania off in Saudi Arabia, bot like fighting Braun Strowman, changing trainers. And when I look at the body language, you know, I just don't, I don't see the same focus that I saw in the first one. Maybe mm-hmm. that's just his personality, him just maturing because it is was it a year and a half later maybe that's just it or maybe i'm just reading too much but when i factor in that and wilder's a better puncher and he's more in shape i mean i've already locked in wilder minus 122 and five dimes hit a prop where wilder wins the fight between round seven and 12 at plus 258 so i mean those are two plays i've i've locked those bad boys in yeah, and I'm I'm on your I'm leaning with you in here. I think this, and I'm hoping it's a good fight, and I'm hoping it's a great fight. But what if you're if it's if it's close, and you and you're leaning either way, but you have two boxers where one can, the fight can be over in a second with Wilder at any point. He could be getting beat up, you know, the first four or five rounds, and then it just takes one small, small, tiny mistake. From Fury to where he gets a little too, you know, a little too big. He get he plays to the crowd. Oh, there's Milo. Hey, Milo. He's he's staying alone in the background. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he plays to the crowd a little too much, and, and then and then he's in trouble. And so I think I, I'm leaning Wilder in a, in a in a fight where, like you mentioned, it's not you're not having to lay a whole lot with Wilder, and you can find all sorts of different ways to play it to where you're turning a positive profit. You know, if you pick certain rounds, so um, you got minus one twenty two just to win, and then what you what were the what was the Plus. extra you got for the round? Plus 258 if it's between round 7 and 12 if Wilder wins, which to me is insane value. I mean, for that five rounds, I mean, I'll play that all day. And if you don't want to play that or if you think Fury's going to knock him out, the under 10.5 rounds was plus 
102 at five dimes when I looked this morning. So if you don't, if you think it could be earlier than that, or if you think Fury's going to knock him out, I mean, that would be a play I'd look at. Eric, man, this was awesome. We've just, we've had conversations uh, so many times back and forth on social media, uh, you know, messaging. But it was great to really talk to you for the first time, and I hope this is the first time of many times to have you back here on That's What G Said podcast. What I like about you is we can just talk about so many different things. You, you know, we mentioned that we we had a few uh, wrestling plugs in here throughout the show, but right now we talked uh, boxing and XFL. Obviously, we could talk NFL and college football when the playoffs start up. We could talk NBA. I mean. I, I love when uh, I can bring on a guest and we can really kind of go around the horn into all the, the big sports. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. Major stories. So let the folks know out there, where can <laughs> we follow you on social media and, uh, and what, uh, what do you have going on? Um, you can follow me on Instagram. That's at etof two etof two one sports with an underscore underscore or you're on Twitter. I'm just at etof two one. Um, I'll tweet out what I think about sports. I sell, Daily packages where you can buy my plays. They're, it's only 15 bucks. I'm just kind of doing this to help you guys, not trying to make money from that. Or weekend plays for $25 or weekly plays for 75 And that's all through that. Or I'm doing for the month of February, if you don't want to pay me, if you donate money to the Vanessa and Kobe Bryant um, Foundation for whatever package you want, and then just screenshot me a receipt, I'll send you the plays for that. Whatever you sign up for. Oh, that's great. That's great too. We'll we'll make sure we uh we help push that out on social media. That's awesome. Uh uh, really cool gesture there And um, I, I'm someone who, who can definitely vouch For uh, the amount of work that you put in I always uh, appreciate your opinion We disagree a bunch And we agree a bunch But that's what that's what it's all about, man It would be boring if we always agreed on everything We'd always be on the you know Everybody would play the same stuff So I more than anything, I just respect the amount of work That you put in And I always enjoy talking sports with you, man Thanks so much for coming on Oh, thanks for having me I appreciate, appreciate it Okay, uh We'll uh, we'll definitely have him, uh, Eric, back in, in no time here on That's What G Said. So don't go anywhere, folks. We're going to take a quick break. We will be right back. And a big thank you to Eric for excellent breakdown on the XFL there and a uh, l- little boxing talk. Let's close things out with social media, your posts, some of your plays for the weekend. I ask for what your best bet is. So every every weekend episode that comes out on either Thursday or Friday, we're going to go through some of your best bets. If you want to have an opportunity to get on the show, this is your best chance to do so. Look around for my post on social media. Follow me on Twitter. It's me, Gino B, or Facebook.com slash Gino Bacola and uh, Gino.Bacola. And look around. You know, I'll, I'll have a post that says something like, what is your best bet of the weekend? Post any plays that you like. And uh, this weekend, here are some of your plays. David. Al Keandre, uh, hope I'm not butchering your your last name. David was talking to him a little earlier. On uh, he's gonna give us uh, some some plays, but he was just checking in. So David, good to hear from you. And also Rob, just kind of checking in. Rob didn't get a play from Rob yet, but he is two for his last two. The next winning play that we get from Rob Casprix is if he gets a, a winner, he gets to come on the show and co-host a segment. Jeff Riggs, Dallas Renegades, minus four and a half, takes the simple offense and the better talent. Dave Foster, Santa Clara, BYU, over 153 and a half. 
Michael G checks in. He was uh, the big winner. He gave us uh, three wins in a row. He also had a great weekend last weekend when he was on the show, and he gave out Mr. Monomoy and Modernist. So he continues to roll. Mark Bonagura says Saturday, like Kentucky, minus the points over Florida. Um, Wade Miller, Indiana Hoosiers, Sunday morning. Uh, okay. And Steve Hamilton, Celtics money line over the T-Wolves on Friday night. Those were all the, the posts over on Facebook. Some of the Twitter posts says uh, Florida first half over the Cats on Saturday. 37-star diamond lock of the millennium. Eric Lashley, Indiana plus 5.5 against Penn State. Uh, home teams in the big are tough straight up. Uh, nice to get some points. Uh, Spud Moore, Oaklawn Park Saturday, 7th race, 7-horse. One last race at Oaklawn. Four horses exiting that race have been next out. Winners, one very impressive. Should get 3-1. to one. Tom Stoner, Duke over Virginia Tech after getting slapped by 22. And then Casper, who uh, was checking in, gave us a play. Um, but that was uh, for uh, for Thursday. and So give us uh, another play for next week, Casper. And then Harley said probably won't be great value, but my best bet Saturday, race 5, uh, Julie Olympica. Put her on top of anything at Santa Anita, single in the Maltese. Appreciate everyone checking in there. One thing I want to let you know, we uh, have a a show that we've been watching that we're going to talk a little bit about next week. The first couple episodes of Zoe's Playlist. Zoe's Infinite Playlist have come through. Watch that show. Check it out. We'll talk a little bit about it next week. It's kind of funny. It's it's goofy. It's like a crazy ex-girlfriend, kind of like Glee. There's a lot of singing and musicals if you if you're into that kind of thing. But it, it's got some heart also, and there are some some good actors in here. And I'm excited for uh, for the show from what I've seen through two episodes. It uh, yeah, there's a little something there. So one show to keep an eye on and uh, and to check out. That's gonna do it for this episode of That's What G Said podcast. Thank you. And thanks to all three of our guests this week. Hopefully we can make you some money over at Sam Houston. And make sure to download, subscribe, rate, and review everywhere you get your podcast. Thanks a lot, folks, and have a great weekend.